here to both principals and this should be one whale of a match to wind up things here in madison square garden all right fans of the titans of wrestling if you're digging this show you gotta know that we've been doing them for a while we've got an archive of shows that you're gonna blow your mind just head on over to the place to be nation to check them out titans of wrestling archives you know you want to hear it this podcast is a member of the place to be nation family visit us at place to be nation.com the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello everyone, and welcome once again to the Titans of Wrestling. Uh, I'm here as ever with uh, Johnny. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm doing good. I'm here with lead analyst himself, Pete. How are you doing, Pete? Good. And Kelly. Kelly, you there? I'm there. I'm here. I'm fantastic. <laughs> it's been a while, fellas. It has. Yeah. I mean, not 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 for any subscribers to this feed. It hasn't been a while. They'll have listened, heard all of you on other shows, but it's been a while since the Titans were united. I mean, not yeah. just all of us. I mean, you too. I mean, all Japan Excite series. You just dropped where the big boys played yeah. the other day. I mean, come yeah. on, Parv. You're selling yourself short. Yeah, I've, I've been like I was away a little while. I had some tech problems, but now I'm now I'm back. Uh, yes. Um, so. Oh, and we we were back in 1981 as well, Kelly. Are you excited about mm-hmm. that? I am. I am because yeah, we have a lot left to uh, take care of in the Bob Backlund universe. So, so just before we get into uh, the show and get into recent happenings and so on, uh, I just wanted to do some plugs and things to mention right at the start of the show. Here, does anyone have any shows, projects they've been involved with, uh, forthcoming? just gone that they'd like to mention uh i'll go around the group pete anything um uh, we'll be doing the reaction show on sunday and uh i'll be starting a new show coming uh starting next week we'll be taping it hopefully with johnny my buddy johnny sorrow uh and uh, a new guy named danny called suplex city it's kind of going to be a more of a more modern uh, recap type of show discussing what's going on and in Ring of Honor and WWE and Lucha Underground. We're going to have guest shots with people like uh, Stephen Graham and uh, Dave Musgrave just recently went to this Smash show that had Chris Hero and Samoa Joe. So we'll get some insights from them at some live events and, and hopefully I'll get some other people on here and there uh, to throw the, the live spin on it because there's nothing, you know, there's a big difference between watching live wrestling and, and watching it at home. Uh, and I, I, just a live experience. It's just, it's just something Something you can't uh, recreate at home, but we're hoping. Hopefully, you know it's going to be something. You know, people, you can listen to us, and if you just you value our opinions, you can then you know avoid this show, watch this show. Oh, this is a can't miss match. 
uh, can't miss angle, can't miss promo. So hopefully, you know, there's so much wrestling nowadays to watch. Maybe we can uh, eliminate some of the what you don't need to watch type of stuff. I got one for you for free, Pete. TNA. Yeah, uh, ironically, we are not going to be covering TNA at all because uh, we're not masochists. Well, you should because it would be chronicling the last days of the of a promotion. Yeah, yeah maybe none of, none of us uh, wanted to, but, but, but Kelly, if you want to be special TNA correspondent, <laughs> um, I, I don't even know how I'd watch it. I guess I'd have to like download it or something. Yeah, because none of us get Destination America, so we nope. have... Uh, uh, zero. Me and Johnny are Roku, <laughs> so there's no reason for us. To, I'm not going to search for TNA because I'm not a uh, sicko. But yeah. Anyway, these, these are exci- these are exciting days for ROH and uh, New Japan and so on. So I, I look forward to that. Yeah, project. We're, thanks. We're gonna you know we're gonna be looking at the foreign market. We're gonna maybe have on Chris Zellner every now and then. Maybe he can do like a little tell us what's going on in Lucha. Uh, we're gonna cover the New J. Like I I watch the New Japan product religiously, so I'll be covering all that. And Ring of Honor, Johnny. Uh, he's 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 a Roku guy like me, so he'll. Uh, He'll uh, he's going to do break down what's going on on the Roku versions of Raw and SmackDown. While Danny actually watches the three-hour versions, and so you can see what how how much stuff they cut out, how much fat they cut out, and how much trimmer the shows are on on the Roku. Exactly. Well, the Hulu actually. Yeah, the Hulu, yeah, yeah, the Hulu version, and yeah, uh, yeah. and we and we might even we'll probably look at Parv's uh, indie right down the street that he never goes to except for when <laughs> Ted DiBiase is on there and I, I think yeah, when I when we had our conference call about the show I think I just said I just want to do it just to troll Parv <laughs> uh, no DiBiase went to the good one uh, that was the South Side Wrestling that's a good one but that, that bad. revolution pro thing and the, your call in uh, London yeah. well, I, I went to that a couple of years ago and uh pretty much hated it so right. yeah uh, they bring in a lot of big stars aj styles is, is making his second appearance this year over there uh i think on tomorrow i, I want to say karina was there when i when i saw it okay that was years ago then was, and uh yeah and then t- on sunday they're gonna have uh, uh nakamura uh from new japan ishii is gonna be there uh uh, from Ring of Honor, Evan Bourne, or we or we Matt Seidel. You know when he was Evan Bourne in the WWE's Matt Seidel again. Uh, he's wrestling, so it should be a pretty damn good card. All right, great. Um, and uh, anything in the pipeline, uh, Johnny? Well, uh, earlier today uh, we recorded uh, Brainbuster number five, uh, with of course uh, Kelly was one of the contestants. I can't give anything away, but I will say nail biter, mm-hmm. nail biter, and it will be up. Well, it'll be up tonight, but when by the time you guys hear this, it'll already be up. So you've already listened to it and said, "Damn, that was a good show." And I'm gonna steal. I'm gonna steal Johnny's impersonation, folks in the business. That's what you call a teaser. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we call a te- teaser. In the, and and uh, I will not be on the reaction show tomorrow night as. Uh, uh, yeah, pay- I heard that. I heard that. Yeah. The pay per view starts as we start our rehearsals for Guys and Dolls, so mm. I will not be. I will not be present. And what about uh, you, Kelly? Anything in the pipeline? Uh just the usual. I mean, tag teams back again with myself and Marty Sleaze. Well, we'll be there. There it is. Whoop! There it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, yeah, that's our catchphrase, by the way. Uh, Marty's catchphrase. Um, uh, so, <laughs> yeah, we haven't got really, a that, Is that the answer to the trivia <laughs> question? I, I, I think 99% of America would answer it differently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it, it was up for grabs and Marty snagged the trademark. <laughs> okay, okay. Very shrewdly, <laughs> that young, that young man. What's um, up? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't go into that territory. Anyway, our next show is going to be Dino, on... Dino Mai! <laughs> oh, that that Johnny, that was going to be my catchphrase. But I'll have to come up with something else now. Um, Where's the beef? <laughs> hey, that'd be appropriate for 1986. Exactly. Uh, Yahtzee! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, our next episode will be a diversion from... Oh, and uh, first let me uh, thank Pete for stepping up and guest hosting on the last Tag Teams Back Again with Marty. Uh, they did a tribute to Tommy Rogers. Uh, listen to that now, folks. Um, our next show will be on the Midnight Rockers versus Buddy Rose and Doug Somers feud from 1986 AWA. Uh, Good yes. Yes, so uh, check that out. It'll be um, uh, a couple more weeks, two or three weeks from now. Yep. Great. And, uh, well, I mean, no real new shows or news from me. Um, uh, other than the fact that you can now donate to the PWO PTBN um, via the Facebook page. Um, and if you go to... Uh, Pro Wrestling Only, you'll also see it in my signature. If you look for Jerry Von Kramer, I'll have probably posted within the past, you know, hour or so, because I'm usually hanging around on that site. Um, and uh, several people have already uh, sent us donations, um, which all helps towards uh, contributing um, for the costs of uh, of this fee, where we have many, many, uh, you know, great shows, all the ones you just listened to, Exile on Bad Street, Where the Big Boys Play, uh, all the shows that Will does. Um, so any uh, of your donations are much appreciated and uh, to be honest I was actually gobsmacked when uh, I, I received those first uh, couple of uh, uh, donations so we're very grateful um, mm-hmm. and uh, keep them coming yeah. and, and for the Stephen Graham fans out there he also is on the feed <laughs> oh, oh did I forget oh, right. someone I always yeah. forget someone sorry sorry Stephen uh, yes um, yeah there are Canadians on the feed as well oh and Kelly um so <laughs> so, so um just so before what we need to do is uh if is uh if they want to uh say their names of the people who donated and parv you can say in your 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 uh, british <laughs> accent would be great promotional consideration paid for by the following yeah. yeah, or or just find that. Yeah, or just find the uh, clip of Lord Al saying it. But we'll uh, we'll um, yes, and I I will probably. Um, I mean, I should have mentioned this on the recent where the big boys play uh, that went out earlier in the week. But to be honest, we were that was literally the day um, that we found out about Dusty Road. So we were kind of caught a little bit on the on the hop. So um, I kind of forgot. Like just in the middle of all that, I forgot to do any of the any of the any of that stuff so anyway we've done it at the top of this show um and i think that's a good segue into talking about uh dusty roads ladies and gentlemen right here on the left one of the principal reasons why in madison square garden there are 22 some odd thousand people here 
the soul man, the man of the hour, the man with the power. I am the hit maker, the record breaker. I got smiling grace and a loveless faith. I make your back crack, your liver quiver. If you don't take this mess, you at the wrong address. And superstar, while all the rest are in the back, laughing and joking, the dreams out front. Woo! Cooking and smoking. Well, there you have it from the dream, chucking and the smoking, slipping and the sliding, Mr. Dusty Rhodes, unquestionably one of a kind. Uh, so obviously it's been a couple of days now. Um, I uh, really gave my thoughts on uh, the dream on where the big boys play. That was the New Japan show. Uh, there's the big three and a half hour uh, special that Chris Zellner did with uh, Will and Bix, uh, which I have almost finished listening to, uh, where they literally go through uh, Dusty's career in depth. But obviously, uh, I'm on the line with three guys who are, you know, lifelong wrestling fans. So. Um, just before we get into today's footage, uh, why don't we just go through, get some of your thoughts on uh, the passing of a legend? And I'll, I'll go to you first, Pete. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Dusty fan. I uh, I was taken aback, like I'm like everyone, when he passed away. Um, recently, it's been come out at work that I am a wrestling fan. I actually had people come up to me and going, <laughs> man, sorry about Dusty, uh, which kind of actually really took me by surprise. It's showing how big of a... Uh, personality was and an icon. I got a, I even got a text or two from a couple friends just going, "Man, sorry to hear about Dusty." Uh, and you know that just simplifies what he is. He was larger than life. His charisma just jumped off the page. He's a guy you'll never um, duplicate. Uh, often imitated because we've seen. I mean, we've seen good imitations like uh, Johnny's. We've seen the mediocre ones like somebody on Exile who's been on Exile. That street won't mention his name. Um, <laughs> just say it, peep. Fixes. It's, it's not a Johnny Sorrow impersonation. But yeah, hey. I, I, I thought you were getting sick. Mentioned Dirty Roads, like the actual wrestlers. No, no, no but I'll, I'll, I give him an A for effort. Uh, and uh, you know, and everyone in the business, in the wrestling business, imitates Dusty's. You know, his his lisp and his, you know, his. Is his cadence, and he's a guy. You know, I uh, first saw him as a young guy, a kid. I was probably 1980-ish uh, when I was living in St. Louis. He was featured a lot on the um, on the wrestling at the Chase because he was one of a guy they always, you know, he was a touring attraction. He was a big money maker. He, uh, him, and Flair wrestled quite a bit in in St. Louis. And they, I don't know. I mean, I'd probably put it in probably one of their ten best towns. It's probably up there in like the Florida and the Carolinas, uh, Georgia, and drawing money for him. And I think St. Louis mm-hmm. be right up there in their in their feud. Uh, my favorite Dusty Rhodes match probably is the Sam Munchnik retirement match with Ric Flair in St. Louis. Uh, that made you got it's it's out there in full mm-hmm. uh, on the St. Louis tapes. They only have it. Uh, probably about 15 minutes of it but the, the, the whole match is out there in full and it's uh I, I just love it it's just a great old school uh meat and potatoes give and take match uh one of their just one of their best uh together they just had they, i mean to me that's one of their famous famous one of his most famous if not his most famous feud uh those guys is cutting a promos against one another was just dynamite it was just electricity and they just you know the, the everyman Dusty Rhodes versus, you know, Slick Rick, uh, master, you know, leader of the four horsemen. I mean, they, I don't know how many hours of, uh, 
of memories and, and enjoyment that Dusty uh, gave me from St. Louis to him when I moved to Houston, popping in and working for Paul Bosch here and there, uh, and then getting Crockett Television or, or the TBS, you know, going worldwide. Then even, you know, he even made the most of his run in the WWF. Um, I mean, he had just so his feuds and and opponents are just legendary. I mean, I just mentioned Flair, Terry Funk's another one. I mean, they were drawing money on the Indies just four or five years ago, if not even last year, uh, and uh, just based on promos because people, you know, they were still able to talk people into the building. Not like the the fifteen thousand they used to be, but uh, for an Indies, they still were able to draw big big time indie. Uh, and stuff. My one of my fa- uh, well, I say my favorite mm, television moment, or as I saw, I don't, I don't even know how to put it to words, but um, it was from Florida. I loved the angle with Dusty Rhodes and Lucifer, who was the assassin, and it just gave me chills. I thought they had great chemistry. Their the promo ability against one another was just fantastic, and I'd put that stuff up against anything out there uh, today. And and I mean, it's just he's just had such an impact on fans and wrestlers' lives that that Sami Zayn piece they he uh, put out was just so touching, and how much of an impact he's had just slowly on Kevin Owens' career. Uh, just on helping him with his promos, and now he Kevin Owens is one of the better promos uh, in the company. Um, and it's just it's just the death just came so sudden because you know you heard he was at work that week, and then all of a sudden gone, and uh, he'll be sorely he'll be sorely missed on my part, and I'm sure uh, plenty of other guys' parts. But man, he was just you know he was John Wayne on the wrestling screen and the end and, and he was you know criticized him for his booking but he had a lot of great years as a booker he had, had just great great uh great vision he was cutting edge he uh just his fingerprints are all over the business and i mean we won't ever see another superstar like dusty Rhodes. yeah um it, it- Pete, uh, you, you mentioned about like people getting in touch with you and things. Um, one of the really surprising things I found was like people over here, like mentioning on their Facebook feeds. I was like, hold on, you, you're not a wrestling fan, and also like I didn't even think people in this country would even know who Dusty Rhodes was, but all of the major news outlets here picked it up, which uh, which are really like uh, honest. Honestly, I thought that was um, something that's uh, one of the aspects of it that surprised me. Uh, seems like he was a you know a bigger star than um, like international star than I would have thought. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I li- yeah, I live in Austin, Texas, which is his 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 town that he built himself from, yeah. and they did they did a big article in the Austin American Statesman, I believe, on Friday, yeah. uh, um, which you know you don't see that much uh, about wrestling on the on the big newspapers. I mean, I know news, newspapers are kind of out of date nowadays, but. Uh, yeah, it just shows what type of impact uh, his death has because I have big time media is covering it. Um, Kelly, what about you? Oh yeah, I, I love Dusty. Um, you know, in the last eight to ten years, when I've really got into old footage, I, uh, Dusty is, if not the top guy, uh, he's in the top two or three that I really just loved seeing um, growing up. You know, I, I missed, like, of course, I missed his prime uh, when I got into wrestling. 
being where I lived, I wasn't able to see the NWA. I wasn't able to see Crockett. Uh, I was able to follow in the mags. I remember one of the first wrestling mags I ever owned was a uh, PWI with Dusty on the cover with the big gold belt after he beat Flair at the Great American Bash in 86. And, you know, I was able to follow the stories and stuff, but couldn't see him wrestle. And then by the time he got to the WWF, I was kind of in one of my first um, wrestling breaks and I didn't watch a lot of WWF at that time. So I missed that. And then, you know, he was done and he was a commentator. So I knew the legend of Dusty Rhodes, but it wasn't until the last eight or 10 years that I really uh, was able to appreciate uh, Dusty Rhodes. And I mean, I just, I, I, like I said, I love him. Uh, so many great matches, angles, promos. He was just, he could do it all. Last night I got together with a few friends and we watched uh, Dusty Rhodes uh, from the, the WWE DVD that they put out a few years ago. And man, uh, in particular, these promos he did in New York in 77, 78, when he was there feuding with superstar Billy Graham were just unbelievable. Um, like at the time, just... Ugh. If he if he was in WWE today uh, like that, that was like when he was 31, 32 years old. If he showed up in WWE today, he'd be the top guy, the most over guy within a week of his debut. I mean, the charisma is just unbelievable. Uh, he goes on and on and on and on without missing a beat. Uh, yeah, so check out those promos. They're from uh, Allentown, the Allentown TV from 77, 78. They're awesome. Dusty was awesome. Uh, there'll never be another... American Dream. He was one of a kind and a uh, true legend. And uh, Johnny, your thoughts? Well, it was so weird. I was like, I was at work and, I, you know, with my job, I'm going from place to place. I'm leaving one job. I'm walking out to my work truck. You know, and that's when like, okay, stop and have a cigarette. And I'll, I'll usually, on my phone, pop on to PWO or something and, and I boom and I see that. And it was like, Dusty Rhodes died. And my heart sank. I felt it go up into my chin, up into my, you know, that, that lump in your throat. And I'm just like, like someone kicked me in the gut. Yeah. And I was almost surprised that I had that immediate reaction. Like I had the same one. when I heard that Randy Savage had died too, but this one even felt I don't know, more, I don't know why, uh, just more intense. And I sat there in my truck and I'm flipping through stuff and I'm like, well, psh, it's only 1230. I've got another four hours of work to do. And the rest of that day sucked. Because, I mean, for me, th that whole day started poorly. I'm like, well, Christopher Lee died. Uh, it stinks. But, you know, he was 93. And then Ornette Coleman, the great jazz musician who I was a big fan of, died. But he was 83. I'm like, oh, today's a shitty day. Uh, Ron Moody, the British character actor uh, mm. uh, who was in uh, uh, Oliver, who I really loved. And he died. And I almost joked myself, oh, what a shitty day for death. <laughs> and then Dusty. And I'm just, my mind was blown. And Dusty Rhodes was one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Like Pete said, his fingerprints are on everything. You know, and I was really getting emotional that evening, you know, having a couple drinks and watching Dusty promos and getting emotional. My roommates were even like, uh, when I'm interested, they're not huge wrestling fans, let alone old school wrestling fans. And I was like, Dusty Rhodes died. And they both went, Oh no, really? Dusty Rhodes. They know who Dusty Rhodes is. And, and I sat here with tears in my eyes, watching these old promos and bits and realizing that not just his work as a wrestler 
and delivering promos that affected me. He he was so important to the wrestling business that and when people said like, well, why do you get upset about someone you never met? I was like, well, number one, I did meet him briefly, but uh, it's if someone is giving you so much enjoyment that's on an emotional level, a visceral emotional level, which is what wrestling is at its best. You know, that it touches you emotionally. You will get behind these characters and these guys. And uh, and not just him, everything he did behind the scenes. How much of the stuff he did behind the scenes that also was so important to me. You know, and uh, and it just really took the wind out of my sails in that way. Probably like nothing since Jerry Garcia died. You know, to be perfectly honest, I was like, as I really contemplated it. And, uh, and, and uh, he was just so much lar- so larger than life. And, and it's one of the things that I'm reading, uh, as I'm Bill saying, is these little backhanded comments that drive me nuts. Like, or they're like, you know, he wasn't really a great wrestler, but I was like, no, he was a great wrestler. He was an amazing fucking in-ring performer because he could hold a crowd in the palm of his hands and manipulate a crowd. And that is a great in-ring performer. And down to even that promo, the, the one that I actually brought myself to watch, which was a mistake, because then I got all crying like a baby, uh, was with Dustin in 94. Mm-hmm. You know, the I neglected you one. And at, and, and at one point, it builds to where the crowd's going, Dusty, Dusty. He just holds up his hand like a preacher, and a hush falls on the crowd for him to continue. And it's like nothing you've ever seen. So he doesn't have to say a word to the crowd. He just raises his hand and a hush goes and he finishes when he's, uh, he's like, you know, Tim, a funk of an egg, second sucking, no good dog. You know, he's on it. I am thin. There's nothing but a walk behind her. And, and uh, I neglected you. I was off finding my fortune, finding my fame. And I neglected you. And I'm just watching this and I'm just tears. I mean, number one, before he died, that thing could make you cry. Now, yeah. holy shit, it's like fucking watching the end of Pride of the Yankees. There's so much <laughs> choice and shit. It's like, oh, Brian's song. It's okay to cry at this if you're a man. It's fathers <laughs> and sons. Uh, it just, he just influenced me so much that I think I thought about it. Not a week goes by where I don't do a Dusty Rhodes imitation, not even just with you guys or whatever, where I'm just or a dustyism with people I work with or here at home, just rattle some line off, you know, that it's that he's that ingrained in my own personal being. Uh, and it really, it, it hit hard and it hurt. He's only 69. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's, that's relatively, you know, that's, that's old for a wrestler, I guess, but not for you know, most people. And, uh, you know, he's right. You know, right now, you know, the stratosphere is, was there for him and him alone, baby. Yeah, no. I mean, the, the the one the one thing I'd add to all of that, or, or which coming out of what you all said, is that um, it seems to me that um, Dusty was someone who was so influential, like as a performer, as a wrestler, as a guy behind the scenes, um, as a and even now as a kind of guy who has helped uh, train a lot of guys. Right? I mean, doesn't he give them pro? Wasn't he giving them promo tips? Yeah, yeah he's a um, promo coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially. I think Dusty is one of those guys who's basically built into the DNA of U.S. wrestling mm-hmm. now. He's just mm-hmm. kind of left that sort of legacy. It's like trying to take um, 
I mean, it's a weird analogy, right? But to, like trying to imagine music history without the Beatles in it or something. You cannot, right. like, it's just built mm. in, like, you know, Dusty is built in to uh, what, what, what we think of as wrestling. So yeah. down, down to even just these past couple of years when they brought him and involved him in the angles against the authority and against uh, the shield. And, you know, it was some of the best stuff that was on WWE television in forever. There was a, a, a different level of excitement to it, that it's Dusty Rhodes and he's reuniting his sons and they're underdogs against uh, the authority and the shield and they come out on top. And it's, you know, of all the people, you know, the shield are running roughshod on everyone. And of all the people that take them down, it's Gold Dust, uh, Cody Rhodes, and Dusty Rhodes hits Dean Ambrose with the bionic elbow. And that's what does it. And I was like jumping out of my seat. And uh, it, it's amazing. Yeah, one other thing I've been thinking about, um, you know, like watching and listening to uh, Dusty promos these past few days, is that, I mean, if you ask me, like, who is the best promo in wrestling, my answer's still probably Ric Flair uh, all the time. But in terms of who actually delivers the best promos, like the best five actual minutes, I think it's Dusty. I think Dusty's, like, you know, the, one, the 94 one that you mentioned the hard times uh there are several other ones that people could point to eye for to. an eye yeah and I, I, mm-hmm. I think in terms of actually the promos that you can remember and caught and and think back on i think probably dusty has got the most memorable ones that i can you know part you know, you're probably right like he probably has the most memorable money promos where it yeah, actually led yeah. to serious money just like he mentioned on uh Heyman mentioned on the Austin podcast or or whatever you want to call it on the network. I mean, Heyman cut a promo but forgot that whatever and and, and mm-hmm. Dusty explained mm-hmm. to him you need to learn how to cut a money promo, not an entertaining promo. The man who has figuratively set the wrestling world on fire. Mr. Soul, Mr. Charisma, Mr. Dusty Rhodes. 287 pounds of sweet soap. I want to get right down to what's going on. I want to get real funky with you, you understand? Because they've been hearing the rap of superstar Billy Graham. They've been hearing the rap of Captain Lou Albino. They've been hearing the rap of the great Freddie Blassie. They've been hearing the rap of the Grand Wizard. But now the rap master, the greatest sports attraction in the world today, the little plumber's son who come out of the ditch at eight years old and became so sweet. Can you dig it? Became so sweet. Yeah, it's on fire. You better believe it's on fire. It's not Muhammad Ali. It's not a baseball team. It is not a horse. It is not anybody but me. Remember, brother, I have wined and dined with kings and queens, but I slept in alley and dined on pork and beans, and everybody here has dined on pork and beans one time in their life. I reached for a star, reached for a dream. Talk about the American dream. Superstar Billy Graham, the goal around your waist will be mine. The goal around your waist will be mine. The great, the great Bruno San Martino, the greatest wrestler in this area's history. Superstar Graham defeated him. And now the era has changed. The time has changed. Now then, it's going to be electrified funky madness. Can you dig it? It's going to be funky. 
The goal that he has, you know, when I was a little kid growing up, I'm going to tell this story. Because whether you're black, brown, white, yellow, green, I don't give a damn what color you are. You understand? You're going to dig what I'm saying. Because I came from nowhere. Just because I drive a big car now don't make me bad, Jack. The thing is, when I was a baby, I learned the hard way. I used to play, I told this story, I used to play dog. And I'm going to play dog with Superstar Graham. You know what I used to do? I used to get under the front porch. And when my aunt would come walking up, I'd get on all fours, I'd jump out and bite her right on the leg, Jack. That's the way you play dog. Every bar in town right now watching this, every bar, every roller skating rink, every TV is turned on, everybody is excited because now, and only now for the first time, can you say, there is American hero, there is the plumber's son, there is Dusty Rhodes, 270 pounds of sweet, sweet soul, baby. Whether it's, whether it's going to be, whether it's going to be in, in Hamburg, Pennsylvania, Reading, Baltimore, Boston, Pittsburgh, New York City, wherever it's going to be, it's going to be madness. It's going to be funky. It's going to be get down time because I ain't going to mess with you, you understand? I ain't going to fool around with you. You know what you can kiss if you don't like what I'm saying. Right back here. Right back here right now is the Grand Wizard, Freddie Blassie, and Captain Lou Albino. They all got their heads together right now. I'm going to make a challenge right now. Lou Albino, here they come right here. Here they come. It is time to go back once again to 1981, Uh, Kelly. Mm -hmm. uh, What is the date for this? (laughs) Uh, The first match we have is from a September 21st 1981 Madison Square Garden card and uh, yes here we go. This was a battle royal for $10,000 Howard Finkel is on the MSG uh, house mic and um, I had to look this up Howard Finkel was 31 here okay 31 Mm. years old I just don't understand how somebody can get to look like that by the age of 31 I mean (laughs) Like, he looked moth-bitten, basically. Like, what happened to his hair? (laughs) Um, I mean, he's like, Finkel is younger than me, okay? Uh, Finkel, at this point, is one year or two years younger than I am, okay? Um, He was wearing an appalling uh, bow tie, which was on wonky, like a kind of off-pink ruffle shirt that looked like it had been ruined in the wash. And I've just written in my notes, look at the state on you, Finkel. Sort yourself out. (laughs) I thought Finkel looked pretty bad here. Um, Well, well, I mean... When I was 31, I was that bald. I just didn't. But did you look as kind of old and withered as Finkel did? It was something like, no, I don't know. like. He, but I was definitely that bald, man. I lost all my hair by 24. So. He, he looked like moldy almost. I don't know. Like, uh, anyway. Moldy. <laughs> I, like, I actually think Finkel scrubbed up a lot better in like 85, 86. Because here he was a state. He really didn't look. He looked like he'd like, I don't know. Did he, borrow oh, one of he, Gary, did he borrow one of Gary Michael Capetta's suits? Yeah. Well, I mean, Capetta was wearing one of those uh, terrible suits as well. Um, yeah. He probably wasn't making a lot of money at this time, so he 
Yeah, he's maybe living in a small apartment, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and living his dream of being a rig announcer. Yeah, Bill I After was probably giving him five spots for tips and stuff. <laughs> like living in his mum's cupboard with like one D and D magazine or something. Uh, anyway, um, he, he goes on to ru- explain the rules of this affair. Did you notice that? I'm going to explain the rules of this affair, ladies and gentlemen. And um, then he introduces each and every participant, all 20 members. <laughs> and uh, I thought this was like a procession of the Titan All-Stars. Oh, um, yes. Um, now, I don't know if we want to get into all 20 of these uh, uh, introductions, but uh, I, I laughed out loud when he introduced the Baron, and the Baron just came out looking disgr- disgruntled. <laughs> like, he was, he was like, he looked like he'd just been woken up, and he's like, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I laughed so much, I rewinded it, and then watched him coming down the aisle. <laughs> and then uh, I noticed both times that Ron Shaw comes out to absolutely zero reaction afterwards. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. And I've just written in my, it just made me wonder, because Baron had a slightly, like, more of a murmuring than Ron Shaw. Do you think there were only actually like, Baron fans in 1981? Like, in that crowd, there was, like, some weird kind of little kid who was like, yeah, I really like that Baron Secluder. Do you think he had any actual, like, fans who, like, followed no. his career? No? <laughs> Not a single one? Well, his, wife, funny... his wife, yeah. his, his dad, uh, oh. his second was... cousin twice removed, the prince. Uh, it... His fellow uh, newspaper delivery guys who are in the crowd <laughs> in the Chiefs. Well, well, um, apparently, well yeah, the, the, think... guy who, the guy who rented him his cape. Yeah, who must have foreclosed on it because he wasn't wearing it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming he wrestled earlier in the the card. Yes. Because uh, he, he didn't have his cape. <laughs> have you seen a guy hate life more than Baron coming down? To the no. Side? But he was like, what the fuck? Come on, I'm doing yeah. all this now. Oh, Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Any, anyway, one guy who didn't have zero reaction was S.D. Jones. What a massive pop for S.D. Jones. Yeah. Do you think the fans would like... At last, a guy who isn't a complete jobber coming out because they really popped huge for Esty Jones. You think well, Hulk Hogan was coming out? Well, he also was the first of the good guys to come out. It was the that, procession that, of, of bad guys. Yeah, yeah. He was the first good guy. Makes then uh, Steve O is here. Yes. Um, I didn't know Steve O was around. And Kurt Hennig is here. Yes. Uh, the Great Yatsu is here still. And then there was a. Who's this guy? Roberto Silva? <laughs> Soda. Okay. Soda. Roberto so, Soda. I, I, Soda. I have to just because I have to jump in this. This was great. He got the biggest pop of his life by accident because Finkler goes from Puerto Rico and the place explodes because they think it's going to be Pedro and it's Roberto Soto and they just <laughs> die instantly. It's like yeah, oh, <laughs> and, it's, and then the next guy out is Pedro, and then they go okay, yeah. <laughs> it's the funniest thing I've seen. Yeah, in the that was really time. funny. Oh my god! Um, Dominic got a good pop, um, th- didn't he? Uh, d- Mill Mascaris is here, um, and they uh, and they they announced um, Guerrero Martel last, which I thought was interesting. Like that, they were kind of positioned. Don't, don't, as don't the... forget, Killer Khan was in there. And oh yeah, Killer Khan came out. Saito and Fuji. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought he was interesting the way... Because uh, Saito and Fuji's kind of, like, just came in as, like, one of the crowd. I thought it was quite interesting, but they really positioned Guerrero Martel as uh, as the big guys here. Yeah. Which made me think, hmm, something to do with the tank division is going to be involved in this match. 
Um, I've watched wrestling long enough to know that if they're positioning Guerrero and Martel, they're going to get screwed or they're going to go over. So You forgot uh, to mention Brower and his giant tits. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the very first guy. First, came, one. Yeah. first guy introed and the first guy eliminated was Brower. Was, was, was he? <laughs> yeah. God, you were paying attention. Jesus. I, uh, well, this is my kind of match. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how to... Pete, did, uh, it's difficult to comment on Battle Royals, I know, but what did you make of this? Uh, yeah, the, my first impression was right when they announced Bauer, I did a, vo- a verbal, oh, fuck, are you kidding me? Because uh, I was like, this is how it's going to start. And I really, I really, I was, it was more, it was more like, kind of like, like I was watching, but I really wasn't paying attention. I just know Fuji and Saito shared the victory. Um, but it seemed like it was all fine for what a battle royal is. I mean, they got enough thing. You got plenty of time. Did, did anyone else uh, notice doing this match? Because um, I, I, I was watching him. <laughs> did you notice Dominic just stumbling around look, yeah. looking for things to do? It was just like, at one point he holds on, uh, he holds uh, Sato for a double team and nobody, nobody goes for it. <laughs> and, and, then like, and then like a minute after right. that, he, he, goes, uh, he goes for a lockup with someone and it just doesn't happen. And then he just goes back to like, all right, I'm just going to wait until the finish then i guess and <laughs> just uh it's dominic had a really weird match but uh johnny any any notes on this um well besides the great uh roberto soto uh non-pop uh, uh larry sharp's jumpsuit uh was great oh yeah uh, that he was wearing oh yeah um i i love that uh kurt at one point kurt hennig uh he's chopping somebody who's being held by i think johnny rods and the guy, the guy breaks away, and Henning just keeps chopping. Johnny Rods. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was. I noticed really, that. Yeah. I thought that was a cool spot. I was like, "That's a cool spot." Along with Vince mentioning, I guess after Henning gets dumped, Vince goes, "He's going to be a great one one of these days." Yeah, he had his eye on him right there. He's like, "Yeah." Did, did, no, because oh, for a while I was like, "Who is that guy? That guy looks like Backlund in the ring now. Who is yeah, that?" Yeah. And, uh, and it, Hennig looked a bit like Backlund at this time, and I was like, mm-hmm. "That they're positioning this guy as a star, clearly." And uh, I was like, "Oh, it's Kurt Hennig." So yeah. I, I thought he got the kind of um, I don't know what you'd call it, but the kind of one to watch push in this, because yeah. like, he, he did a bit. He he stood out in the middle of the match. Yeah, he always so. got the young boy push back then. Uh, if that makes any sense, like okay, he's yeah. a future uh, star, kind of like the New Japan Young Boys, where you just know they have potential. There's a couple like blue chippers, and Hennig was always one. Was one of them for a while. Eddie Gilbert was another. Yeah. Is so, they, uh, well, at one point, <laughs> St. Jones starts like running at somebody, but there's nobody there. And he just like runs at nothing and stops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Soto, throughout this thing, he just stinks. He's just a total, he's just a zero, nothing in there. Yeah, who is that guy? We haven't, we haven't seen him at all, have we? I'm sure Kelly's going to let us know. But, uh, uh, yeah, yes, yes. But by the end, uh, the, the good guys are dummies. You know, because they've got, it's four of them, and they've totally. got Saito and Fuji <laughs> outnumbered. And they proceed to act like the fucking Three Stooges meets the Marx Brothers and <laughs> all just eliminate each other like dummies. Yeah. Uh, and Fuji and Saito, being gentlemen, decide to split the prize and just bow at each other over and over again. And I was <laughs> dying laughing. Was like, no, 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 after you. No, after you. No, no, after you. It reminded me of the, the two gophers, the gay gophers in the Warner Brothers cartoons. No, no, after you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and the announced team's like, they can't share it. 
you know, just in disgust. <laughs> and uh, Fuji's the, the shot of Fuji's face right at the end uh, should be the screen grab for this show. He's just all <laughs> grins and looks weird, <laughs> I, evil. I uh, thought Fuji was hilarious in the in the finish to this match. Yeah, he was great. He's just so sly, isn't he? So devious. Uh, <laughs> he's the devious one. I, I did I did right here that when Matt Martel accidentally accidentally eliminated Gurria, is it Shades of Strike Force at WrestleMania Five? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Martel's got a bit of uh, form in that area. Um, yeah. a- airplane spin from Dominic we got at one point. Yep. It's like the only thing he did in the match. Did you see Baron's elimination? Because that was absolutely hilarious. Because he got eliminated and then literally just walked back down the aisle exactly as he walked in. Yeah. <laughs> Back to bed. <laughs> it's just like, all right, that's another, that's another one done. Another, another day, another dollar. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he literally punched his time clock yeah, uh, was- on the way to the at Gorilla, and then <laughs> when he got back to Gorilla, he punched out and left. <laughs> yeah. Literally, the way, the way he walked out was, it was really funny to me. <laughs> anyway, um, any further notes, Kenny? Uh, well, I, I, we're back in 1981, and we're, we're back to uh, bio time here with Chief J. Astorian, so pull up a seat. I got a couple for you. Um, yeah, I, 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 when I first saw this, and, and we had these two guys, Roberto Soto and Steve-O, you know, we haven't seen before. I wasn't, you know, thinking too much about doing a bio, but I had some uh, time to kill this uh, afternoon, so I ended up doing <laughs> two bios. My Soto one is kind of kind of small. And my Steve-O one suddenly took on a life of its own and got kind of big, but we'll see how it goes. Um, I, I can't imagine, Kelly, your Soto was going to be long, so uh, it's not like that's a big uh, shocker. Yeah, well, well, Soto could have been a longer one. I mean, the guy had a long career, actually, and he wrestled in various territories. Um, wrestling data, it was tough to find much information on him, though, beyond wrestling data. Uh, wrestling data had him born uh, as born in 1948, but also according to wrestling data, his career started in 1960. Um, uh, so if you do the math, that meant he was 12 years old when he got into the ring. So I'm thinking his birthday was probably wrong. Um, he, apparently, he wrestled as Pepe Perez in his early days. Um, <laughs> Which is a great name. He should have never uh, gave uh, gave up. I mean, that's money right there. Um, and so in the early days, he, he wrestled in Calgary quite a bit and uh, teamed with his brother, who is Manuel Soto, who actually wrestled a lot in uh, New York in the 60s and 70s. And Manuel was the cyclone and Roberto was the hurricane. And they basically in New York, they were a, a JTTS team. But in the South, in the late 60s and through the, throughout the 70s, they were actually relatively successful. And they worked in Florida a lot, Georgia a lot, the Carolinas a lot. Um, one little bit, uh, tidbit of info on Soto, on Roberto Soto that I did get is that apparently he was known for having one of the best looking drop kicks uh, in the business in the 1970s. So he, he had that. Um, and then his, his, his career got kind of interesting. In the late 70s, he went to Puerto Rico, and he became invader number two to Jose Gonzalez, uh, invader number one. And not to be confused, though, and here's where it gets really confusing, and for Parv with his uh, 
trouble distinguishing the Riveras. This is going to be really confusing. Um, in in Puerto Rico, Invader ah. number two. <laughs> yeah, in, right, invader number two yeah, yeah in puerto rico invader number two was uh roberto soto but in america invader number two was johnny rivera who if you you may remember from way back when he was one so of this dude uh, is invader two yeah sometimes the actual one <laughs> like okay yes and and the confusing thing is johnny rivera who was invader number two in the states um, was Invader number three in Puerto Rico. So, right. yeah. <laughs> so he, very... the, the, what, the guy who has the, uh, that, um, oh, what do you call it, scaffold match with yes. uh, Chicky yeah, Star that I watched. Chicky Star, yeah. And so the Invaders are a team in the WWF in 83-84. That's um, a good match, by the way. People should watch that. Yeah, it's a famous match. Uh, but So it's a little confusing with the different number twos. Um, and then, of course, if we know our history... Uh, and uh, one of the dark periods uh, in wrestling history uh, was uh, in 1988 when Bruiser Brody was murdered by Jose Gonzalez, Invader Number One, and Roberto Soto was apparently one of the the people present uh, in the locker room that day, and so he's tied forever to that. And I don't think his career lasted too much longer after that. Um, Did they? You, you know, you know how those guys used to like live the gimmicks and wear the masks and things. Yeah. Do they do they actually like go to court? You know, calling to the witness stand, <laughs> invader number two. <laughs> they... Yeah, I could see that being that protected in a in a murder trial. Even <laughs> I, I couldn't have murdered Brody. I'm I'm, I'm invader number one. Yeah, some sort of kayfabe defense to get out of it. I think that's what happened. Um, so anyway. our next witness is the killer bees. <laughs> <laughs> and then do the switch and it's really Brunzel on the stand. Yeah. 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 Mass confusion. <laughs> and so anyway, that's Roberto Soto. Um, uh, you know, a big, bigger star, much bigger star in uh, the South um, than he was ever in the North. And so now on to Steve-O, who was a name I'd, I'd encountered. And I've seen him wrestle in the AWA. Um, yeah. but, um, you know, he, he was kind of nondescript looking, uh, real name, Steve Olsonowski. And it's, he had an interesting career actually, when I looked into it, he, uh, debuted in 1977 in the AWA. He was actually, of course, trained, um, in Vern's camp. He was a native Minnesotan and actually, uh, Steve and, or Steve's father and Vern played football together at the university of Minnesota back in the 40s and so there was a connection there uh steve had been a high school gym teacher who had just been laid off and he was looking for work he had nothing really going on so he decided what the hell i'll try i'll try out wrestling i'll try out Vern's camp and he was in the same class as kurt hennig uh buck zumhoff who has a, a an interesting future ahead of him and brad rangans uh so that was an interesting class of guys Oof. uh <laughs> the worst class. No, it's, it's like Parv's murder row of workers. <laughs> Who is that teacher? It's like, here is how to work the Jay most. Strongbow is their fucking worker. <laughs> fucking coach. Here's how to be the most bland possible wrestler. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay. So yeah, he, he he made it through the camp. Uh, was actually, you know, when he first debuted, he was kind of like. Um, and this was kind of uh, 
consistent throughout his career in the AWA. He's basically kind of like a Rick McGraw level babyface JTTS. Uh, I would say though he was better protected and pushed better than uh, Rick McGraw, uh, yeah. especially earlier, early in his. Uh, can, can I, I want to say Steve-O tagged with DiBiase at some point. Yes, at, like, yeah. it, like early in his career, like seventy-eight, seventy-nine. Well, actually, a little later. Yeah, I'm getting Georgia. Right. Georgia. Yeah. Georgia, Georgia, yeah, yeah. I, I knew I saw that somewhere. Okay, yeah, because he he wrestled in Portland early. He wrestled as Mark Hanna in Portland, um, but mostly in the AWA. And then he went to the, the to Georgia in 1981 as part of a, a talent trade, apparently. And he ended up getting pushed heavily uh, in in Georgia in 1981. He won the TV belt within a couple weeks of debuting against Kevin Sullivan, and later in the year. He won the national heavyweight title, which was a pretty big belt. Actually, it was sort of like George's top belt. And he beat the Mongolian Stomper, Archie, uh, the, the Stomper in other territories, uh, for it and held it for about two months until he lost to the mass Superstar. And Parv, yes, he teamed with DiBiase, and they did hold the national tag team titles uh, for about a month that year. Did did you guys ever see that Legends Round Table where Bret Hart was trying to make out that uh, um, the Mongolian Stomper was like the greatest Canadian wrestler ever? That was one of the most bizarre right, things. Right. Archie, you, yeah. But he didn't well, work as Mongolian Stomper. He worked as Archie Goldie, so it was like yeah, a he's Archie Goldie. Yeah, he he cut promos like as the Mongolian Stomper. He never spoke. Uh, so if you only know him as as the Mongolian Stomper, you wouldn't be too impressed. But apparently, yeah, he was the top heel for years in Calgary uh, during su- very successful uh, times too for the territory. Yeah. But, uh, money. I like he was probably in the, yeah. what, probably the top three draws for Stu ever. Yep. Him, yeah. He had a Abby and dynamite. Yep. Would probably be him and Abby team. had a famous feud heel versus heel bloodbath. Yeah. In the early him and, and him and bad news Brown too. Right. Yeah. And that like 10 years later when he finally turned babyface was with yeah. bad news, bad news, Allen. Yeah. Uh, in Stampede in a very famous match uh, angle and uh, post-match promo by by Archie. That's really cool. And then, uh, you know, something we hit on real quick because it was brought up on Pro Wrestling Only about wrestlers watching footage. Brett was probably entwined in, the, in those angles and they were fresh when they were happening. And mm-hmm. Patterson was the one really scoffing at him. Yeah, he, was, he was tied up in the WWF at the time and probably wasn't seen what was going on all over the place, like Brett, like, like especially right. Stampede, like Brett was at the time. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That's uh, the one where uh, Paris goes, where did he ever do anything else? Mm, yeah. and, uh, and, and Hayes goes, uh, goes uh, Knoxville, uh, mm-hmm. and, 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 and Pat goes, Knoxville? Who cares about Knoxville? Yeah. 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 Great pa- moment, pa- yeah. Pa- Pat wasn't happy about that, was he? Wasn't no. happy about it. No. No. He was kind of big timing everyone on that one. Yeah, it's yeah. like the stomper credentials in his 80s or something. But, but I mean, to be, to be fair though, he is Pat Patterson, so you know. Right. Yes, yes. Uh, so back to uh, Georgia. Yeah, like so in that year, he had three titles in 1981. Not too shabby. He this was when he made the uh, wrestled this match in uh, at the Garden. Uh, the card we're looking at uh, on the undercard, he defeated Ron Shaw. And was in the Battle Royal. And I, this was his only WWF appearance at the time. Uh, just this one shot. And I was wondering, you know, beforehand, like, how did this happen? Like, why was he there? And I thought, oh, it's maybe the AWA connection with uh, Kurt Hennig. That maybe they rode up together or something like that. 
But no, he was in Georgia at the time. And I actually started looking beyond just uh, wrestling data, and I found an article on the Slam website, which is a uh, Canadian wrestling website, but it's it's pretty well known. It's really good. And they had a big article on, on Steve Bo. And apparently, according to him, the real reason he was sent to MSG was that Jim Barnett uh, sent him so that uh, Steve-O could buy Barnett a special bottle of $500 brandy from a <laughs> liquor store close to Madison Square Garden that you can only get. It's incredible. That is so believable as well. I believe yeah. it. I believe only an effing pro wrestling right there, baby. <laughs> oh, my boy. <laughs> yeah, and apparently um, Kurt Henning had to guard it at, at one point in the dressing room because he was afraid when uh, when uh, Steve-O was wrestling uh, Ron Troy, he was afraid that some of the boys would steal it or start drinking it. So he had uh, oh, yeah, Kurt Henning guard That's the guy you want to guard your... <laughs> yeah, I know, like the notorious ribber who would drink it all and then replace it with piss or something like yeah. that. <laughs> do, do, do you know what's very amusing to me, Kelly, right? Is uh, listening to all of this is thinking about the 1981 smart fan, you know, the, like the, the the 1981 version of Dylan Waco sitting there saying, you know, they really need to push more <laughs> Steve-O <laughs> or uh, who's that other guy? St- was it Steve Travis, the yes. rookie of the year? I'm just thinking like these guys who are now completely, for, you know, completely, totally more or less completely forgotten. But I bet in the like that 1981 landscape, they would have had advocates. They would have had people saying, you know, yeah, yeah, like these guys are going somewhere. We should, uh, you know, they should be giving more time on the card to Steve-O, not Dominic Danucci. Steve-O, uh, his, his brother Mario was mentioned on Brainbuster today. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Um, it looked things like did, did he come out with bo on his on his trunks? <laughs> <laughs> of course he had. To. Sorry, carry on, Kelly. Um, yeah. Anyway, so it looked like his career was going places here in 1981. But apparently, even though he's pushed hard in in Georgia, he said the fans uh, didn't really take to him because he was from the north and they saw him as a Yankee and uh, they didn't really uh, get behind him like uh, at the level he was being pushed anyway. Um, so what happened to him was that he suffered a, a severe hand injury against the great Kabuki uh, in Georgia in late 1981. And that uh, he was basically on the shelf for six months. And when he returned, he went back to the AWA and he, he was never really the same again or he was never pushed uh, strongly again. Uh, he wrestled uh, basically as, uh, as the Rick McGraw kind of of the AWA for a lot of the 80s. Um, he did... Uh, get involved in an interesting situation in 1986. Um, so the story goes, this was when Larry Zabisco had like his ninja uh, phase and it had his ninja crew going on. And yeah. so he had the super ninja and there was also Mr. Go. And the character of Mr. Go was, was supposed to be played by a, some young Japanese kid. but Wasn't it Ryuma Go? Uh, I'm not sure. This is, this is Steve-O's story in the slam. Uh, article, and he says that this kid came to America, never been to America before, immediately fell in love with big-breasted, blonde American women, and uh, no-showed a bunch of shows, <laughs> vanished, and they were desperate. They needed someone to play this character. So, <laughs> so Steve O got the call. He, 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 it was a math character. Oh man, Mr. Go could go. So, so Mr. Go, he, what, he Steve wild, He's like one of the wild and crazy Festron brothers. <laughs> 
I love the American women with their large breasts. That's see, that's funny, Kelly, because on, on a previous uh, Brainbuster when we did the headline game, one of the real headlines was "Larry Zabisco cannot be stopped." Special analysis by Steve O. <laughs> Here, here's, a, here's, a new, here's a new game for Brainbuster. How many cheap plugs can Johnny Sorrow get? <laughs> two, two. <laughs> I've heard four. <laughs> Got a couple more. It was relevant. Yes. So anyway, he this puts Steve in like a very unique situation because at the same time he's Mr. Go, he's he's still wrestling as Steve O, and so he has two personas at the same time: one face, one heel. And he actually, as Steve O, he would have matches against the Super Ninja and Larry Zabisco, who were his partners, as Mr. Go. Um, so he had this really unique. That is completely bizarre. <laughs> Was there ever Steve O versus Mr. Go? No, yeah. that must have. They should have figured that out. Wait. It'd, be like, it'd be like that that old Monty Python skit where Graham Chapman wrestles himself. <laughs> Mr. Go and Steve O are never in the same place at the same time. Hmm. Just like yeah. the Invaders. Just like Invader Two. <laughs> yeah, Invader Two. <laughs> oh, you gotta love wrestling and mask characters, and oh god, so. That happened. Uh, his career. I wonder where the real Mister Go is. Like he could yeah. still be out there. He's still fondling the breasts of American women. <laughs> yep. He, he owns a strip club in, uh, <laughs> in, in Tallahassee. Or I something. was going with he was he replaced Johnny Sorrow as the DJ at at what club stop. he worked at. Yeah. Great, great minds. Great minds. <laughs> so O's career pretty much petered out after that. He did wrestle on the final. Uh, ever AWA show, which was here's some trivia for you, May 3rd 1991 in Bloomington, Minnesota before an, a whopping 650 fans uh, he he defeated Ricky Rice on that show but uh, he basically phased out of wrestling by that point, and I think he got into uh, insurance or, or banking did, or something. Did, didn't even Paul Heyman want to pick him up? Because uh, I mean uh, this is unrelated, but I couldn't I was uh, just reading into the career of Sal Balomo the other night, I just couldn't believe his e- ECW incarnation. Um, right. Like, so if Heyman was going to be picking up Sal Balomo, surely, like, he'd have a look at Steve O, wouldn't he? Uh, huh? n- probably not because when Heyman, and number one, uh, Heyman wasn't running ECW when. Uh, oh, he wasn't? Balomo was In 1993? No. Uh,. Mm. Not no, completely, no. No, no he, he was he was there, but he wasn't running the show. Was, he was the was, assistant booker at that point. Was he wasn't bringing in the talent. It was, it was Todd Gordon, I believe. Uh, was Todd uh, Gordon, Eddie, I think Eddie Gilbert was. Eddie Gilbert, was, yeah. and then Paul Heyman was his assistant, but yeah. he didn't. Right, right. But okay. but the reason that, for that was because Sal Balomo had a name to the Northeast, yeah, uh, audience. And, yeah, uh, so did a lot of the well, most of the old talent. Morocco, Snuka, yeah, you know, Santana, you know. Yeah, yeah, there's one name that doesn't quite fit in. Morocco, Snooker, Sal Balomo. Right, right. <laughs> but still, Sal Balomo was a guy they remembered. Uh, I guess. When, yeah. East, when, he, when Eastern Championship Wrestling first started, man, it was it was, it was as low rent as any indie. Uh, yeah. Yeah, just an indie type thing. Totally, yeah. yeah. So, All right. I do have a, a few few notes on the Battle Royal. Um, this could be the last uh, Dominic footage we have on the set. Actually, oh. 
So, should we have a moment of silence or? <laughs> nah. No, we'll we'll keep find this, some keep more. this train rolling. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. To be fair, he did. He did look pretty lost in this battle royal, girly. So, yeah, I'll just say like the ending was. I'd never seen anything like this. The way it was booked to make the baby faces look like total idiots. Four, four, four on two. two advantage. Like the psychology to this didn't make sense. And then all the the eliminations where they were screwing around and accidentally eliminating each other. Uh, I mean, Danucci accidentally eliminated SD with like a very weak tap off the airplane spin. That yeah, it was like Vince Russo booked uh, <laughs> War Games. Yeah, all, all it needed, all it needed, was the Benny Hill music and done in fast. Yeah. I can't believe they did that because it made. I mean, especially Martel and Gria, who were being pushed and were the tag champions. It, it, it made Martel look inept. Yeah, I thought that's um, just weird. Weird. I did. I did enjoy the little cat and mouse sequence they did after that, though. Didn't you? Like food. It was like Fuji and Sato uh, and Martel showing his agility. It was like kind of cat and mouse. Yeah, 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 yeah. The but, elimination yeah. would look cool with Fuji. Uh, yeah. Tied up in the ropes and then untied right. himself right, right, right at the nick of time to toss. Yeah, back that was timed well. That was timed well. It's still, it was strange to me. It was a strange booking of that uh, battle royal. I thought it was fun. I really thought it was fun for it was. Yeah. Um, and you know, as, like for a twenty-minute battle royal featuring a lot of jobbers. Um, yes. As good as you can expect, I think. I think so. Yeah. On that note, shall we take a quick break? Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly. Make sure you check out every episode of The Kevin Kelly Show right here on the Place to Be Nation. PlaceToBeNation.com, The Kevin Kelly Show. Every episode is a winner. At least we hope. Place to Be Nation's Justin Rosero here. In addition to The Kevin Kelly Show, we have a ton of great podcasts available to you on iTunes and PlaceToBeNation.com. You can check out myself and Scott Criscolo on The Mothership, The Place to Be Podcast, home of great interviews and our famous Vintage Vault pay-per-view reviews. If you need your fix of current wrestling talk, we have plenty of options for you there, including Main Events, which features a roundtable discussion led by PTBN analysts and special guests, our monthly pay-per-view reaction show, including immediate feedback and discussion for WWE, NXT, Ring of Honor, and New Japan Super Shows, and Wrestling with Optimism, which focuses on the positives of the business. Also, be sure to relive wrestling's past with Graham Cawthon's excellent exclusive History of Wrestling podcast, Dylan Hales and Dave Musgrave's Wrestling Culture podcast, our monthly pay-per-view rewind roundtable series led by Ben Morse, and the Dangerous Alliance podcast starring myself and Pro Wrestling Only's Will, diving into various subjects in the form of exercises and games. Sports fans have plenty to dive into as well. We feature The Extra Point with Scott Criscolo and Dr. G, The Kings of Sport featuring live audio wrestling's godfather Nate Milton, The Sports Sound hosted by Cowboy and Cowboy Senior, as well as the NBA Team Podcast, which takes a year-round deep dive into pro hoops. PTBN also proudly features Richard and the Mailman podcast, which specializes in the world of TV, thought leadership, anger, and irreverence. As mentioned, all these shows are available on PlaceMedition.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. PTBN is also home to the tremendous in-depth features on pro wrestling, sports, movies, comics, plus tournaments, and more. We also want to thank our friends at Bonehead's Wing Bar in West Warwick, Rhode Island, and Fall River, Massachusetts, Scott Keats, RSPWFAQ.com blog, and Piledriver.net. Place to be Nation and Pro Wrestling Only are proud to present the PWO PTBN Podcast Network. Join us for a variety of great shows that explore all the facets of professional wrestling. 
Join good old Will from Texas for our Place to Be Nation reaction shows and Goodwill Wrestling, which has been kicking since before JR had barbecue sauce. Listen to Where the Big Boys Play and join Chad and Parv as they discuss classic NWA and WCW pay-per-view. And take in one of our newest podcasts, Exile on Bed Street, and allow Chris Zellner to give you a history lesson about important moments in wrestling's colorful past. Listen to Johnny, Pete, Parv, and Kelly, the titans of wrestling, as they examine in-depth the history of the WWF in the 1970s and 1980s. And then there's Brain Buster, the wrestling game show, tag teams back again, the pro wrestling super show, the All Japan Excite series, and the Super Extreme Vault for some EC dub, EC dub. You can hear all of these great podcasts and more on one feed. Remember, PWO, PTBN Podcast Network, part of the Place to Be Nation family. All right, well, uh, welcome back, and uh, we are back in Madison Square Garden. Um, and what show is this, uh, Caddy? Was it the same as the Battle Royal or a different show? Uh, same show, yep, September 21st. September the 21st, 1981, and it's uh, Bob Backlund taking on uh, his latest challenger, uh, the magnificent Don Morocco. Um, now, I have to say, just pre-match, Bob looked goofy and gimpy as hell here. Like, what the hell is wrong with it? This is the gimpiest he's ever looked, I think. He was, like, completely good. I don't know if it's just been a while since I've seen Bob, but I just thought he just... He's a total sad case. Like, I just can't believe that he <laughs> like he ever existed as a thing. That, like, people in 1981 in New York wouldn't look at that and just laugh. So... <laughs> <laughs> he was getting pelted with uh, some trash on the way to the ring. Yeah, uh, I noticed that. And, uh, well, and in the finish as well. Um... Very loud beach bum chant as well. Beach beach bums were not over in New York no. in 1981. They hated the beach bums. Um, so, Pete, the Texas death match between uh, Backland and Morocco. Yeah, I, I thought this was a good match. I gave it three and a quarter stars. Um, I it was just it was just interesting. I uh, there were some things I liked about it, some things I didn't like about it. Like I, I thought it was cool how morocco smothers bob early but i'm not a big a big front fan of the front face lock uh i usually think it limits on what you can do working wise so i'm not a big fan of it um, it's, it's not the most interesting hole to be fair exactly i always call it a death kiss to a match at times um but but morocco works it pretty well here uh, and he then he moves over to a camel clutch, and and Morocco's working the neck, which makes all perfect sense because his finisher is the Oriental spike. Um, so that you know, so the work on the neck is a nice little lead into that. And then Backlund takes over for a bit, and I thought Bob's arm work was really good, not really good, but uh, pretty solid, and and it was well done. Nothing, you know, he's not recreating the wheel here on his arm work, but it's good. It's getting over with the crowd, so it works fine. Um, Morocco on his comeback, um, he goes back to the neck. I, th- I thought that was good. It was a nice little callback to his heat segment earlier. Um, and then Bob's out on the floor when he's selling, and that's kind of like a 1980s trope. If you've watched, like I've watched all the Bret Hart, Kurt Henning matches that I've made tape singularly. And that's one of their big spots is is Brett selling on the floor while uh, Kenny is doing like a King of Mountain spot, and they're and it's a big '80s trope when it comes to when they're working either <clears throat> long matches or 20 minute draws or 
60 minute draws it's a way to extend the time where they don't have to do much but sell a little and it, it kind of take took a little bit of the sale out of the match um but overall um it was really good and then we get that you know that fuck finish with the uh leg on the rope which is actually a good um finish if you're building to another match which which they are so it worked for me but i can see why people get pissed off like i remember like now with the wwe network one of the things i said was that a lot of it is going to feel like the pay-per-views are going to feel a lot like msg footage where they're going to be giving you a lot of kind of crappy finishes because they're going to be trying to extend fuse to to cover two or three or four pay-per-views in a row kind of like uh, madison square garden uh uh, where they ran the garden back in the 80s and 70s and, and before mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't hear a lot of opposition about it, but I, I mean, it's come, pretty much come to fruition. So I always thought that was an interesting talking point. But overall, I thought the match was well done, and uh, they, they did a pretty solid job, three and a quarter. I, now, just just before I pass to Johnny here, um, the, 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 the finish was just retarded to me. Like, ask back with psychology on it, because... Okay, fought on the ropes finish. It works if it's Ric Flair defending the NWA to world title. Oh, yeah, it would have been better if it was a heel. I, I mean, agree. it's just completely like what the heel gets screwed by the ref. Right. Like, like that, I mean, if people were throwing trash, it was like, well, hold on a second. Uh, mm. The ref has been paid off by Bob Backlund. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Who are you? Who are you, Dan Shockett? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it just seemed really fishy. It just seemed True, like but they they went to that spot over and over, year after year, though, with the yeah. heel having his foot on the rope. That was a WWF thing that yeah. when the heel would have their foot on the rope, uh, yeah. and the ref didn't see it. It's just something they did yeah, back they then. Did that, they did that. Another big weird trope, which is asked backwards, was. When they did the WWF draw a lot, it was the heel who was in control at the bell. Usually they go to the yeah. baby face counting down, uh, but they did it a lot differently. They did it differently a lot more in the WWF where the heel sure. was on the verge of winning, which is, you know, right. makes no sense. So Morocco was well, still well, the Intercontinental keeps, Champion, too. Well, that, too. And, all, it, it, and it, in its own way, that I'm sure their thinking is that keeps the heel strong. True. Mm-hmm. Yep, and for another for, yeah for another rematch, and I got one other thing I forgot to mention. I've always back in the day, and not so much now because the way they treat the titles. But back then, I used to be a huge mark for like the Battle of the Belts, like the Intercontinental yeah. versus the World or the World yeah, versus the U.S. Too. It just gave it gave the match a little bit more juice and prestige. Yep. Totally, which is funny because the uh, the only time in WWE recently that that's felt like that of all things was Cena and Owens recently and it's the fucking mm-hmm. NXT belt but they've given it that feeling NXT belt versus US belt mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's the first time they've made that they've given that feeling to a belt versus belt match in a long long time but but the, yeah, IC, yeah. the IC belt wasn't up for grabs here right no no and, and in fact even Hogan Warrior I seem to recall that the IC wasn't the IC belt not actually up for grabs in that match as well it actually it was it, it was because the finish was Warrior yeah. was winning so it didn't matter yeah he was yeah right, but right, it was right. a winner take all match that was okay fun. but that, that's that whole like well the person who holds the Intercontinental belt or an NWA US belt is the number one contender to the title which was something that you read in the magazines all the time Thanks. but never never yeah. really I, I feel like oh, Croc- I feel like Crockett it felt like more like that in WCW Crockett that the US the yeah. US champ was like the next good well at least, up until Hogan and friends came in 
uh, I would say the US belt did feel like a stepping stone on the way to the world. Whereas yeah. in, um, especially in Vince Jr.'s WF, the IC seemed like its own thing, like its own more, like a yeah. slightly more technical yeah, decision, in, basically. In, in the NWA, the US, if you if you never carried the US belt, you, they, I mean, I can't remember a, a champ, because you always carried the US belt before you became a world champion. Look at Sting, I think he was a US champ yeah. before he was a world guy. Luger. Right. Flair, yeah. Steamboat. I mean, it's almost like a pedigree. I mean, Ron Garvin, I think, was the exception. They were, they were going that way it. with Rue when he got injured as well. Like, yeah, but, you know. But 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 the, the whole thing was that uh, that made them the automatic number one contender, and that was not really enforced as much as the magazines no. would lead you to believe. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Although although I will say, consistently on their WCW top tens that they run down, the US title holder would always be number one on that list. Oh, right. right. And that was how it was in the in the after mags. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, Johnny, uh, Don Morocco, a much maligned uh, figure in some quarters of the internet. What did yeah. you make of this match? Uh, I really like this match a lot, but uh, let's speaking of WWF tropes, Texas Deathmatch. Has there ever been a, a name of a match, of a stiff match, that has had so many different meanings because it's, yeah. it's it's like oh well can they answer the 10 count that's like the legendary mm-hmm. texas death match yeah. uh it can mean an all-out brawl which by the end of this it did mm-hmm. but in the in the beginning uh apparently it just means in texas there's no time limits Ooh, scary well, yeah. they were like the ref's counting uh, everything is normal, but oh, yeah. in this match, there's no time limit. Ooh, that's a that, death that, match. That was exactly my main criticism of this match, that they just uh, didn't work the gimmick at all, if it was well, that. Well, Not that's sure. just it. That was the gimmick. They, they, they would throw the term Texas death match around and but, just make up whatever stip they wanted. No, there's, there's, no, there's no juice. There's no nothing. But I seem to remember the Ken Patera one was more brawly than this one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what was, I'm saying. Yeah. We've seen also other like two or three other Texas Death matches that yeah. wasn't Slaughter in one of them. No, uh, that was a uh, back alley alley fight, fight. Alley, alley fight. fight. Alley but fight, the right. Texas Death match is supposed to be no DQ, no count, yeah. and it usually is in the WWF setting. Um, yeah, remember Bruno? The Bruno Arion yeah. Texas Death was wrestled that way. Right. Yeah, Bruno yeah. Arion. Yeah, I remember. But but then by the end, when it was getting out of control. You know, there were no DQs. Of course, Dick Kroll, who also uh, shops at Melons Big and Tall, uh, <laughs> uh, was, he would still count and everything. It was just one of those things. I remember as a kid, it bothered the fuck out of me. It was always in WWF, usually. Yeah. But everywhere, yeah. that would happen. It's like no one ever tells the ref, you know, what, what the stipulation is. Vince, Vince, Vince gets the great line in, speaking of this, uh, talk about their last match at the Garden. Because the last one went to the one-hour time limit. This one looks to be heading there as well, except there is no time limit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he caught himself in the middle of it. He even <laughs> forgot what the fuck. Uh, the wizard strut is the best. Where he holds his arms out a little to puff himself up like he's bigger than he is. Yeah. Uh, Morocco, maligned for being slow, starts this match off full of pep. He's just full of pep bouncing around like a motherfucker. Uh, Backlund almost killed him on that pile driver. It's like he almost knew that. <laughs> yeah. his, he just d- dropped him. It was just, he wasn't even like holding him. And <laughs> the fact that Morocco and Morocco landed square on his noggin 
uh, probably <laughs> shoulder, but looked just like he just dropped them upside down. I, I found the name for that pile driver, by the way. It's called the jumping pile driver. Apparently. Uh, so, yeah. there we are. Um, I, I loved uh, Backlund rubbing his elbow in Morocco's face. That looked brutal. Uh, when when Don's getting thrown around in the armbar, his yells of pain are just awesome. Uh, and Backlund's just vicious on that arm. He's just yeah. vicious on that fucking arm. Looks like he can't get out of the socket at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's going to take it home, you know. Uh, and uh, continued. Uh, that diving headbutt by Bob to uh, Morocco's on the outside laying on the apron, and he just dives under the, sec- under the bottom rope with that headbutt. I was like, we've never seen that before, <laughs> especially from Bob. Uh, now, it, then suddenly it becomes no holds barred, but the ref's still counting. Uh, yeah. The fan goes after Morocco. Uh, uh, Bob, that suplex that led into the finisher that he's just powering with his shoulders out of the yeah. move. Just full crazy yeah. strength. De- de- deadlift. 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 Butterfly suplex. Yeah, that was fucking man-sized, man. That 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 looked awesome. And like you said, the finish is what it is because that's the way they did it. That's the way they did it. Say on that NFL stuff. That's a grown man. That's a grown ass man. Grown ass man. And that just happened in WWF. The heel would get fucked like that often, and no one cared because bad guys deserve it because they're they're villains. Uh, sorry, Vince Senior, but that's what I like. Uh, <laughs> Pat Patterson was probably there with his notebook, shaking his head like this is these, these finishes are fucking terrible. <laughs> as soon as I've got some say in it, we're going to change this. And, and maybe, and Vince Junior, maybe because it didn't really happen then. But well, well, well if you notice, well, I'll tell you one thing: you'll notice. Okay, I cannot think of a single major clean heel win uh, in like Boom era, Vince. Uh, booked like literally like any Ric Flair win any like they were all basically honky tonk man like even like I don't know it could be like Ted DiBiase over Coco Beware he'll still put his foot on the ropes like yeah like to get the cheap pin that because I, because there's because they're going for that over the top kind of cartoony yeah. villains and he, heroes heels, like, heels always cheap yeah heels fucking black cheap yeah. throw it away black and white. Wow. Which is always funny because then when they turn babyface, they suddenly stop cheating. It's like almost like they had a like, but, but, but like a, rev- a revelation or it's something. Sure, it's surely better than this world where not only does the, the not only does uh, you know Bob like Bob is literally just paid off the ref basically to not uh, apply the rules of the match. <laughs> That's so funny when, oh, I, no. did, when I mentioned I Dan Shockett. Referees actually. Well, no. When I mentioned Dan Shockett, I mean he was the original heel columnist in the the after mags and yes. that was his ongoing thing is that bob backland and arnold scolan pay off the rest scolan see scolan paid off the rest scolan. i, I want to live yeah but, that's bob, it, it was, bob was scolan. unaware of what was going on he's too innocent and naive dick, dick crawl is crooked as hell <laughs> scolan's the guy who does the bribing what do you make of this one kenny um i i liked it <sighs> I was conflicted when it was over as to like what how would I what do I think about this one for some reason? Uh, there was a lot of good in it. Um, yeah, I mean, the heat was great uh, as always at uh, in Madison Square Garden, and there was some interesting 
you know, the arm work, like has been said, with Backlund on Morocco is really good. We haven't seen Backlund really go that vicious on uh, an arm before. and But it didn't really lead to anything. I thought he was setting up, because I kept thinking, is he using the cross-face chicken wing now? But yeah, it didn't really uh, lead anywhere. And then, you know, it, it was kind of slow. I was lying on the couch watching this, and I'll admit I, I almost fell asleep uh, in the middle portion. It was in the afternoon. I needed a nap anyway. But still, um, you know, I was nodding off a little. But it, it got it got interesting at the end when um, uh, Morocco took uh, charge again and then started working over Bob with the Asiatic spike and then the pile driver and some and some near falls. And then the big pin. That was a unique pin. Like, we haven't seen Bob do that sort of feat of strength pin like that before. But there was just something to this match. It was missing for me. Like, it was good, but it wasn't great. I The lack of blood, the lack of, yeah, like the real feeling of that this being a Texas death match, I think, hurt it. I was expecting more, and it, it just never really got to that level. Even though I think technically overall they worked really well and and uh, put together a good story, I think maybe, but uh, something just didn't click for me with this one. That's how I am on it. Well, it looks like I'm the high vote on this one because uh, I thought it was at least about four star match. Um, I really enjoyed Bob's focused arm work. I thought it was really vicious, like you said, Johnny. I thought Morocco's selling was really good. Yeah, I'll, I'm with you. I'm just like, all you got to do is forget that it's called a Texas Death Match. Yeah. The, the, yeah. main, the main, I mean, the main, my main criticism is that it's just the gimmick doesn't come into play at all. It just, just call it a no count out. But if you just, if you just ignore the fact it's called Texas Death Match, it's always a pretty good match. What, in fact, I thought one of Bob's better matches that we've seen. You know, uh, <laughs> not not like top top end, but like I'd add it to the list. A lot of people are high on this one. Um, I like it, you know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it in my top ten Bob matches. I would. I, uh, I, I know, I, and I, I don't like. I mean, Will is obviously the guy who really, really, really hates Don Morocco. Um, like based on this match, I don't really see what he's talking about. You know, he he seemed to carry his end. He he was good when he was on top. Didn't spend too much time laying around on the mat or anything. I didn't think they. You know, worked a good. There was a good struggle all the way through the match, and uh, well, well, he's a racist against beach bums. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because as we find out later, the chant "beach bum" is racist. And we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, uh, I thought it was all perfectly fine. Um, this this match, and um, yeah, and and uh, just going back to my perennial uh, criticism of Bob not selling. I thought Bob gave Morocco a lot in this match. Yeah, he did. He, he seemed to sell for Morocco for some reason. So Yeah, yeah they I agree. Up, they changed up the structure. So anyway... Um, I think I, I think Morocco... Uh, I think Backlund is Morocco's best opponent. Yeah, oh, really? I, I don't know. That's made tape. Um, I did... I did. I can't remember if it was a clip, but I did like him versus Briscoe in that... In that. Do you watch that? Yeah, that was it a is, clip, and that was in his prime. We haven't, we don't have about, any about, a, about a six or seven minute clip with with Briscoe. Yeah, and that's seventies footage, which we don't really have a whole lot of in Morocco. So yeah, but he he looked he looked. I mean, he, he's probably about I don't know forty six, pounds. I was gonna say sixty, 60, pounds, 60 pounds. Yeah, he looked but, like he was weighing about two thirty, two twenty in that clip. 
Yeah, but he, I mean, like a lot of people do look good against Briscoe, but I, I thought that's probably the best Morocco's looked that I've seen him, you know, so. But like, and, like I said, it's a, it's a clip, you know. We so. got CD finishes there, too. Uh, so. I, 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 I agree that Backlund's Morocco's best opponent as far as we're going with, like, match quality sort of thing. My favorite Morocco opponent, though, was Snuka. So. Yeah, that's a good point. They have a great feud. Um, okay, so now we have Greg Valentine versus Jobber. <laughs> no, no, no. No? no. no Ventura faces Jobber. Uh, no, Valentine no, no. Valentine faces uh, Jeff Traney. Oh, right. Okay. Craney. Craney. With a C. Oh, it's Craney? Weirdly, Jeff Traney? Weirdly, I've got the Ventura Jobber's name. The Ventura Jobber's called Jerry Johnson. Jerry Johnson, uh, yes. For, for Greg, I've just got Jobber. So. Uh, tri- he's tri- <laughs> Triple J, uh, Jerry Johnson Jobber. <laughs> Job, Jobber Jerry Johnson, I've written. <laughs> Jobber Jeff Craney. Um, so who, who's the Jobber's name? Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Craney. Jeff uh, Craney. <laughs> I'll, I'll give him his moment of fame here because nice. no one's ever going to talk about him ever again. Um, he was an off and on jobber from 81 to 85 in the WWF, uh, mostly in 82 and 83. Uh, zero wins. Zero wins in his career. Um, <laughs> according on, to on, on, data. Quick. I got a question. What's yeah. an off and on jobber? Was he like a star somewhere else, or he just took a, like a sabbatical and was working at the hardware store? Probably a, that. Okay, so he was <laughs> he a didn't, job, he didn't work. So either yeah, he, he was a jobber or he had a different vocation. Yes. Well, obviously, okay. <laughs> he okay. wasn't making a living. Well, yeah, yeah, no, no. In the Alaska territory, he was champ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was getting at. So he wasn't like working the small uh, and being the champ on top. Gotcha. Yeah, as far as I can tell, he only wrestled for the WWF. Um, his career highlight was January 6th, 1982, a TV match where he got to team with middle-aged and crazy Dominic DiNucci. Oh, uh, oh. They, again, they teamed this guy with DiNucci. Remember? Like, it's mental, because he's, like, fine, like, literally, he's Final Four Battle Royal, like, yeah. level pop guy. Yeah. He's teaming with this dude. Well, yeah, no, well, Kelly, Kelly was playing. Remember, Dom, uh, Dom had that his uh, uh, his plan to try to find the right jobber to take under his wing. <laughs> yep, he went through a ton of them. You know, he was taking names out of a hat at one point, and so they went against Jesse Ventura and Adrian Adonis. Wonder who took the fall there. <laughs> I wonder if Dom even tagged in. Uh, he often just he just uh, stood on the apron, actually. In those anyway, that was as good as it got for Jeff Craney. This was his first recorded match, um, this one against Valentine. And he got absolutely uh, murdered by the hammer. Um, Pete, any notes beyond just a squash? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I love that bump the jobber took off Valentine's elbow. I thought that was really awesome. I liked how Valentine thought that this guy didn't deserve the figure four. He yeah. didn't use it to beat this piece of trash. Yeah. Um, he, called I, him a, he called him a peon and nothing. A peon, <laughs> exactly. I thought Valentine came across as like a superstar here. Mm-hmm. And you want to see him, you know, he's coming up to the card. and he's, We're gonna, about to get into the great Backlund series. Yeah, I yep. mean, yeah. I mean, Parv, I know you've been cowering for me on the DiBiase versus Valentine debate. Uh, I think after you see his matches with, with Backlund, you might just tap out right there. 
we haven't even got to his, we haven't even got to his Tito feud, which I think both feuds are better than uh, uh, DiBiase's Duggan feud. But um, well, that's, that's you know that's hypothetical because we know you don't want to go on and face me in that debate. So <laughs> um, uh, I thought Valentine looked fantastic here, and uh, a really nice piece. Uh, hold on a second. We were losing you there a second, Pete. Um, <laughs> that means you're editing it. Unbelievable. <laughs> anyway, um, what did you, you dirty Brit? <laughs> <laughs> what, what did you make of uh, any any further comments, Johnny? Yeah, uh, number one, they did the the, the, the classic uh, Howard Finkel announcing over the match. Uh, mm-hmm. You know where to go to see wrestling and. Uh, I love that he. It was that <laughs> it's it's supposed to be the Our Lady of Guadalupe School, but he actually says Guadalupe, and I don't know that just that, that was funny. Our Lady of Guadalupe. I was like, oh, it's Guadalupe. But as far as Valentine coming off as a star, you're absolutely right. And here's another way: his awareness of where the camera was during the post match pro- uh, promo was outstanding because he did this. Like overhead camera shot that was like coming from overhead, and uh, he's and he he realizes it and looks up at the camera, and no one else is. He's and talking. Takes up, the whole, takes up the whole frame of the camera too, on top yeah. of it. Yeah, but but he but when they're showing the group shot, uh, he no one else is. No one else is aware of where the camera is. They're looking straight ahead, which looks weird because the camera shot's coming from above and Valentine's looking right at the camera and it just immediately just, it just, and then it jumps down to the straight ahead shot and Valentine immediately moves his head down at that camera when they switch cameras. And it's just such a, uh, an example of the, the professionalism and uh, to have that kind of camera awareness uh, while you're uh, doing your promos. And I thought that, it really jumped out at me. I was like, "Wow, that's fucking slick, dude." He's, you know, he knows what he's doing and on every level. So, yeah. But otherwise, I, 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 you know, what, you know, was it Patterson? Why didn't you use the figure four, Mister Valentine? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you know, I don't waste it. I was, that's fucking great. You know? he's a, yeah. He's a nothing wrestler. So nothing. Great. Oh, it, it didn't. Uh, Patterson again mentioned that you know, no matter what, even though they have a history or what have you, that he, but still, he just. Boy, he he wears that robe and carries himself. That's that's yeah. class. He's like class. <laughs> uh, any further comments, Kenny? Uh Not really. Only that, uh, sort of, for historical purposes, this I believe is the first appearance of the red, white, and blue ropes for the WWF ring that will be wow. a fixture. Yeah, I mean the first on the footage we've been watching. Anyway, I'm not sure when it officially debuted, but. Uh, yeah, maybe so it's maybe a special stock in Holland time. Yeah, so that would be the look for the ring for the next uh, what sixteen years or so with the red, white, and blue ropes. What did they so. turn? They became black, probably. Did they something? Uh, I think it was red first. Was this the right. the first switch? But yeah, so a little bit of trivia for you. Well. Uh, I, I think probably on the same Allentown card, we have Jesse Ventura taking on Jobber Jerry Johnson. Yes. Um, now, be- before we get into who the hell Jobber Jerry Johnson is, um, what the hell is Jesse Ventura wearing? Johnny, <laughs> I imagine you own some clothes like this. I used to. <laughs> I certainly used to. Uh, uh, 
as far as the tie-dye goes, but I never had tights. I never wore tie-dye tights. What about the feather mask thingy? Uh, I no. Thought that help you pick the chick so they want to look at your mug and stuff. So. No. Oh, okay. Oh, 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 okay, Rick Martel. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, the, the T-shirt, most definitely. Uh, I had my fair share of tie-dye. I have, uh, I have to say, did anybody else think, right, that Jesse Ventura wasn't that stacked? His body wasn't that good compared to, like, you know, because he always used to, like, later, later on, he'd be like, Rick Ruby reminds me of me. Right. <laughs> he hasn't got body anywhere near like Rick No, Ventura. and he never really did at all. <laughs> uh, no. He had big arms, uh, and they got bigger over yeah. the years. Uh, yeah. he, he looked more stacked. You know when he does that random pose down in the WrestleMania like when he randomly just gets up with right the on the table, yeah. yeah. He he looked more stacked then than he does here. So when he when he does his arm wrestle challenges uh, later on and stuff, he uh, he's obviously more jacked too. He's yeah. more jacked in the AWA, you know, yeah, like eighty three when he was tagging yeah. with Katara. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I love I I love that he's got uh, as they call it a purple halo, uh, and it's, uh, it's a, like a ring. Of purple dyed into his hair, and it's it's great because uh, that's exactly what his hairline is now. You know, it's right where that purple is is where his hair would eventually yeah, yeah. go. <laughs> it's a conspiracy on my hair. Uh, Thank you, uh, Randy Savage. I know, I know. I'm trying. I know. I went. I went to go do Jesse, and Randy Savage came out. That stinks. Pete, yes. do you have any notes on this match? I uh, yeah, a couple cookies. Venture uh, is not a natural wrestler, he, uh, but he basically does a basic solid work. He works, hits the kicks the back a couple times, then picks him up for the backbreaker. Makes sense. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. We're out of here. <laughs> That's it. Do, do you know what occurred to me during this match? You know some of those other guys that we saw earlier on, like in the Battle Royal, like um, Johnny Rods or the Baron, say... Um, if they were against a pure jobber like a jobber Jerry Johnson here, what do you what do you think their basic game like? What do you think their kind of perfect game plan match would be? Because like, um, I watched him. I mentioned that Sal Baloma. Okay, he took on Bobby Heenan in a match uh, in nineteen eighty four. He lost, by the way. But um, in that, there were moments where he clearly just had no idea. Like. Clearly, he just wasn't like the kayfabe wrestler. Just wasn't used to being in the position where he was He's working on things. top. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was like well, I don't know what to do, you know. So I'd be, I'd be, I'd actually be really interested to see like Baron versus Jobber, just to see what his game plan would be right. if he, if everything went his way. Do you have any idea, Kelly? <laughs> uh, not really. Um, but I mean, yeah. I, well, let's dig some up. Let's dig up some Baron. Jobber matches. Yeah, you know what? You'd have to dig them up because someone buried them along with all those Atari <laughs> ET games, so no one ever would have to see that shit. <laughs> My guess would be if, like, like, uh, host, like, um, what's his name? Uh, Johnny Ross. He worked yeah. as Shaka's. What, what was his other gimmick name back in the San Francisco territory? <laughs> Javaruk, yeah. Javaruk. So he probably learned how to work on top a little bit. Uh, so his matches would probably be interesting. But guys who just probably were just jobbers all the entire time, they just never, uh, just they never really learned how to work on top. I think Meltzer one time uh, mentioned it on a TNA review 
uh, there was a guy playing the gimmick of Mr. Wrestling 3, I think it was. And it was just some guy they picked out. And he had he'd been previously been a jobber, so he knew how to bump and move in a ring. But his offense looked so incredible because he uh, would never had to, never really had to develop it in his role he played in other places. Were you about to say Shaka Zulu? <laughs> yeah, I was. I was going to get the hate mail coming in immediately. Um, right, so who's, who's this Jerry Johnson guy, Kenny? Uh, well, he was trained by the aforementioned Johnny Rods. Um, so he had that going for him. He was the cousin, or is the cousin of Mike Masters, if you remember him from many, 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 many shows ago. He was another job guy. He did a bio nope. on. No, not. well, they afraid not. They came Let's from. See, the, can I remember? Uh. <laughs> I don't. I don't. No. Either. Well, trust me, we did watch a Mike Masters match. I guess something. he lost. I'll be my guess. Yeah, he did. I believe it was against Larry Zabisco, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> anyway, um, he won one match, Jerry Johnson. Against uh, Steve King, of course, the king oh of the jobbers. Um, the only one man who would uh, lay down for these guys. He was a very giving person, Steve King. He would lose to anybody. Um, so, yeah, no, Jerry not Johnson. That, not that guy who faced Valentine. No, no. No, he, he couldn't even get a win. Poor guy. But uh, Vince called him Jerry Gunn at first. Um, and he, which uh, I had to, I just got a, a, a brainwave to research this, and he he must have got him confused with Terry Gunn with a T, who was a jobber in the WWF at this time. Oh, I thought he was using a bit of uh, you know army lingo from the First World War. You know, <laughs> those damn Jerry's, a Jerry Gun, no, <laughs> those damn Jerry Von Kramers, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so no, he was Jerry Johnson, and uh, yes, that's all. And uh, it was just a squash match. <laughs> so, so your, your bio for this guy is, he is literally just a chopper. <laughs> Basically. He was Poster trained by, boy Johnny. For trained by Johnny Rods. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, a better, he's, he's better than Jeff Craney. He's a slightly higher on the jobber uh, totem pole. Slightly. Yeah. Well, that's my new pet project. What is the basic game plan? of wrestlers who lose quite a lot like if everything went their way how would they win a match I think that's quite interesting and I'm going to do a little research yeah man, I'll fall right into the, the Dory Funk uh, thread <laughs> well I mean you know, Dory, Dory, Dory's got many ways to put someone away of course he never loses we know of course <laughs> so uh, now we get some promos uh, first of all we get Pat Patterson with um Actually, was it Dick Worley who gets talked to first, or does Patterson himself cut a promo? First Patterson, Patterson comes yeah. out. Yeah, he's not interviewing. He's actually talking about Angelo Mosca, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Vince is interviewing. Yeah, Vince. Vince inter- so the first Patterson is going on about the uh, was it the water he got thrown on his hair, or and then he got kind of beaten up. I was last. Mm-hmm. Last yeah. time, it was months ago now. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah. He, 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 hit him, he hit him with the water jug. Water jug, yeah. Yeah. And then um, we had Dick Wordy justifying uh, some decision that he'd made recently. DQing then, of uh, Mosca. Yeah, so DQ'd Mosca. I just got written here dot, 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 Johnny, question yeah. mark. So, fuck, fuck Johnny, you. Dick Wordy on the mic, what do you reckon? Stinks. <laughs> 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 Sucks. 
I, I actually like the idea of the ref explaining his decisions, though. That's quite good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was that. Uh, so Mosca- Mosca's my new hero because he tosses that asshole aside. Mosca, <laughs> Mosca comes in and... Twice. Actually, actually I thought he was going to uh, beat on Worley, but he doesn't. But, you know... Um, but And Mosca cuts a promo um, saying that he's uh, out to get Pat Patterson, so that feud is still in full force. Um, how long does Mosca to hang around for, Kelly? Uh, well, basically when the feud with Patterson is over, which would be a couple more months, and unfortunately, or, or fortunately, we don't have any of those matches. Thank God. Uh, but we have all the build-up to it. I mean, yeah, it's probably not going to be good, but with all the build-up, it'd be nice to at least see one of the matches. Because they're all... Yeah, they, no, they yeah it'd, be, it'd be interesting to see, but man, I really don't want to see Pat's tarnished by not being able to carry... That loaded crap, Mosca. I don't know if anyone can carry that load. <laughs> well, we never know. What do you think of his character work, though, Pete? I thought Mosca's character work was fine. Uh, my favorite part was actually when he uh, Albano fed him the uh, the water pitcher again. You actually hear the clang against Patterson's mullet. I mean, uh, skull. I thought that was fantastic. You just hear the clang. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, and the angle actually had some juice to it. It's just I don't want to see Mosca in that role, you know? Well, let's get to the bit that Johnny is chomping at the bit to get at here, which is um, Don Morocco well, is a man of wa- a man of the water. Can yeah, you well, discuss well, this? Well, but, but first, just going back to what we're talking about there, uh, Pat's at this role now where he's the announcer, and every now and then he gets an excuse, and they've had great returns from it. And yeah. So now they're going to go with doing it with Mosca, and it seems as like... That's to, to to quote Gorilla is like going to the well once too often, possibly. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's almost like a Xerox copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah, and now you get this like fuzzy ass picture. Yeah, you know, fucking 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 Whirly. He's like he's sadistic. You know, he had the man beat. He's sadistic. I had to do. You know, uh, I, I love Pat Patterson's one quote. He's like, "You'll find that Pat Patterson can grow real fast." I was like, I'm sure a lot of men. <laughs> I found, found that out. Uh, but fired up Pat rules. I mean, fired up yeah, Pat is awesome, and it's just and Mosca was great screaming around and screaming and shit. Uh, but there was the one thing where he says to Vince, Pat does. He's like, "I wish you had the tape to show it. I wish you had the tape." And he leaves. When Mosca comes in, they go to the tape. <laughs> so he's like, "Like, well, then now here's the tape. You know, Pat wanted the tape earlier, but." <laughs> anyway, my, my garage door's opening, so I'm going to mute, so go to somebody else. <laughs> well, well, one little thing, just before we get to the Morocco bit then, uh, Kelly, what, one thing I think I've noticed recently is that Kroll works MSG, Mario <laughs> Savoli works Philly, Philly, and Dick Worley does the TV. Is that basically right? Uh, well, Worley does Philly also. Um Right. So he's yeah, like a that's, yeah. That's where Johnny's hate, 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 his hate fetish of the world. But he, ten, he tends to be the ref now. Oh no! I, I, as a kid, I liked Dick Worley. I just it, I grew it into a hatred. <laughs> he, he does tend to be the ref in Allentown, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but not MSG. Yeah, he never does MSG. Right. Sorry, okay. Johnny, for getting the history of Dick Worley versus Johnny Sorrow feud uh, backwards. <laughs> but it seems like Savoldi we don't see him outside of Philly because that's like a cult. Yeah, that's... Cult. That's Carl's ref, basically. Unless, uh, unless, yeah. they hire him. <laughs> unless they hire him for the troubleshooter in Amarillo. Remember that part. 
Oh, yeah, no, that's true. Don't forget that feather in his cap. Smaldy <laughs> went down to Amarillo with troubleshooting ref. <laughs> troubleshooting. But, okay. but, then, but then they had more, uh, Moscow just uh, Moscow just kill uh, Mikado, the jobber, yeah. who he had been disqualified against yeah. uh, by yeah. early. So. In seconds. <laughs> seconds, yes. Um, so, d- 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 Johnny, let's get to this man of water business. Okay, well, the pass with Don Morocco, and Morocco cuts this great promo. So I've seen death. I'm a man of the water from the great isle of Hawaii. You know, and basically implying that, you know, being a man of the water from Hawaii with his great Hawaiian background of, with kings, with his wealth and Hawaiian ancestors, to call him a beach bum is pretty much racist. It's, it, these people are racist for calling a great Hawaiian man like him something as lowly as a beach bum, you know. And uh, I love—I'm a man of the water, you know. My great wealth and everything—he's—he's he's, he's the best. I think Morocco is a good promo, actually. To be honest, um, yep. He, uh, you know, great. I think he's a great promo. Great promo, um, and uh, yeah, he'd, he'd, he'd be one of the more dynamic kind of Bob opponents, I think. You know, uh, in terms of like, he seems he seems to me like a wrestler with some intelligence, which is probably why he was so lazy. Because uh-huh. you know, if you're in, like, the smart thing to do is to be lazy a lot of the time. Uh, <laughs> um, it's the easier way. It's the easier way, right? It's yeah. the easier way. Uh-huh. Um, so now we're going over to Philly. What's the date on this one, uh, uh, Kenny? October seventeenth. October seventeenth, thirty-one, at the Philadelphia Spectrum. Uh, it's Don Morocco taking on Bob Backlund for the title yet again. Uh, uh, Pete, this is a hour draw. It's a mixed bag for me. I'm, an, I'm a guy who really likes hour draws. I'm a mark for them. I enjoy them. I like to see what the wrestlers can do to fill the time up. I like to see. Uh, um, see how they work it. What's going through their mind? How they if how they're if they're able to keep the story going for an hour? If they're able to keep the crowd engaged? So there's a lot of interesting stuff that surrounds the hour. You one as a fan, you got to be patient too. Uh, we I've seen plenty of fantastic hour draws. This isn't one of them, but it has a lot of good things going for it. I gave the match like two and three fourth stars. I believe, though, um, the the guys, maybe two and a half, it was just, you know, I, I know Parv hated this match, so I heard him snicker already. Um, uh, <laughs> the, uh, um, for the most part, you either have to be a guy who can work a lot of holds and keep things interesting, which I think Bob can, and have charisma. Bob, uh, I don't think his charisma transpires to an hour draw. Morocco has uh, uh, charisma in spades, but he can't carry an hour to draw just off of his charisma. He's got to do some stuff, and he was—I thought he was really—I thought he was the thought he had moments here, but for the most part, was pretty lazy and was content to sit in holds. I enjoyed Bob working the arm. I thought it was really well done. I enjoyed Bob going after the leg. I enjoyed Morocco even working the leg a little bit. I thought, but then you had so many when they were doing when they were engaging and working hard, which was only about. 20 minutes of the match it was great then we had the 40 minutes of just you know sitting in a uh, a abdominal claw hold or just lay (laughs) or laying in holds and and it was just killed the momentum and you could tell the crowd 
was kind of it was weird. It was like they hated Morocco. They were lukewarm to Backlund coming out because you heard some cheers, you heard some jeers. So it was going to be a hard sell, and they just weren't able to uh, make it through all the way. I thought Bob at times again was really engaging in the match, but overall it just fell flat and uh, it missed the mark and just wasn't very memorable. And just you know, I. I don't ever want to see it again. An hour. I have other things I could do for an hour than uh, I could. I could flip through channels for an hour and and, and uh, feel more accomplished than I did watching this match. Uh, the one neat thing I thought Don Morocco did was: uh, Did you see the flying hammerlock uh, that he did? Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. interesting. One other thing I thought was cool was he did a pile driver where it looked like he I, I maybe it was payback for the pile driver Bob did on the last match but it looked like he put Backlund's head pretty deep into it where it almost looked like like a real pile driver you know what i'm saying right yeah well it was late in the match and both guys were tired i think uh, morocco was gassed to shit and so could yeah. probably barely pull off that move have you noticed the morocco does the tombstone by the way it's one of those yeah. guys who uh, did that yep. move early. yeah and I loved how uh, the announcers, which is a big criticism I remember uh, Meltzer used to make of uh, Monsoon, was just shitting over submissions. Like, all the, uh, I, I believe it was uh, our, our, our good man Cal going, they'll never submit to a hammerlock. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, what, he said, what, what he said was, he's like, they never submit, do they? They never submit. Yeah, to okay, yeah. So, so that just shit-canned everything they were doing the whole match. Uh, <laughs> uh, from, you know, people complaining about this announcing, that was pretty uh, shameful. Uh, <laughs> How dare you, sir. Yeah. It was awesome. Johnny? Um, okay, um, number one. Is this the match that, like, people online constantly, like, just sh- uh, shit on? Uh because I know there's a lot of Morocco one-hour things that people I like to say. Will uh, hate Will hates this match. JDW is a big proponent of it. Okay, well, God, I'm gonna have to agree with that. Okay, <laughs> uh, I, I really liked it, uh, but I have to say, I, I'm wondering: is there a version of this out there with overdubs? I say Vince commentary or something because. If you're just listening to Dick and Cal for this, it is <laughs> fucking amazing. This is probably my favorite Dick and Cal performance I've ever heard. I've got three pages of notes that get more and more indecipherable uh, as, I, as I was smoking a lot of pot during this match because uh, there was a lot of time to do so. Uh, <laughs> um but uh, number one, you I have to be I, to enjoy it. Well, I did enjoy it. Well, hey, there you go. You know, uh, <laughs> it's legal in Colorado. So come, to Colorado <laughs> come to Colorado and watch this match with me, and you'll love it. But, Smoke enough of it. Uh, yep. Bob Backlund fucking hammer uh, can become entertaining. Fucking, uh, you know, Morocco picked a lot of winners in the college football game. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, and, and, then, and then Morocco, when they do the the promos before the match, and Morocco cuts a pretty good good one, and Bob does his Bob fucking. He's like, oh, you know, he says he's going to teach me a lesson. Well, you know, I'm always willing to learn a lesson, but I don't know if he's uh, the kind of guy who's going to ever teach me a lesson. But he's all smiles, staring at, him, just like, uh, uh. and then when he uh, comes down and he's slapping hands, Bob yeah. is with the kids, and he slaps uh, Dick's hand. And and Dick's, Dick's, he's like, they're like, whoa! He's like, oh, he almost broke my hand. And I'm thinking, you know, 
He says, wow, look, my hand's so smart. And I was like, well, if he almost broke your hand, he must have crippled those children. Thought back then was a heel. Uh, it's Mario. Uh, uh, this great line, uh, you know, when you look at Bob from a distance, he doesn't look as big as he does when you're right next to him. Yeah. <laughs> so does a building. You know, so does anything. <laughs> Fucking, do, Carl discovers perspective. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're doing double dutch. Oh, they're jump roping? What the fuck? Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the chance get to him, but the signs don't. Well, maybe he's illiterate. Uh, oh, look at Bob's teeth. They're pearly white. They're pearly white, Dick. Yeah, I remember uh, that one. I'm well not kept. a commentary guy. Yeah. Uh, well-kept teeth. Uh, well-kept. He has well-kept teeth. Uh, they're talking about the pain uh, with the submissions. And uh, he's like, you know, maybe they like it. Bob does. And, and Dick goes, he does? He's like, yeah, he told me. And, and then it leads into, oh, that's just too much pain, even for a masochist. It's <laughs> like, fuck, Dick. <laughs> what are you into, sir? <laughs> uh, they love sweat. They're sweating. Yeah, that was, that was creepy shit. That was pretty fucking creepy. Uh, they love, now, the stomach claw I like because it looks... I, I like stomach claws because they just looks like it hurts so bad, even if even as silly as it is. It's like a personal thing. I was like, I would never want anyone to do that to me. And just grab that. It's like, oh, that's like the worst. Uh, uh, this one, Matt Backlund has very little meat in front of him. <laughs> okay, uh, and someone has a sign that says "Beach Bum" and there's an Easter egg on it. I have no idea what the fuck that's supposed to be. <laughs> what, what was the date on this? It was October, so it was I, so there's an East in October. There's a sign. This is a recycled bum. sign. He was using maybe the same one. <laughs> There's or maybe maybe it, was, maybe it was a beach ball though, and you thought it was an Easter. Oh, egg. that's what it was. Yeah, it was a beach. Was ball, it? Yeah. Well, it was shaped yeah. like an egg, so he yeah. sticks. <laughs> Johnny, do, do you have the note there? The, the one, the one I took down was when um, Carl was going on about like he's like, this is one of those matches. Uh, this is like one of those matches from the fifties or the sixties where yeah. guys guys would be watching it to one a.m. and get in trouble with their wives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I, I can tell this one is going that way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was. Oh, yeah. There's radio <laughs> yeah. waves coming from the crowd. Just, <laughs> okay. Now they're tripping. Uh, yeah. uh, that'll cauliflower in here. You know that, Dick. You know, they mentioned the Zembo Moss. Then they, uh, when, when they go, when they start talking about other things that are coming up, and Greg Valentine is back, uh, and he's going to be at the Zembo Mosque. And Dick, I mean, Cal is like, what? He's like, wait, Valentine is back? How come we don't get him? Harrisburg? <laughs> Harrisburg gets him? I'm like, he's like, fuck Harrisburg, dick. I went down the rest of the fucking card. It was like his Casey Kasem rant. You know, it's like, Har- it's ponderous. It's fucking ponderous. Harrisburg gets Valentine? Harrisburg? Fuck Harrisburg. Uh, yeah. It's like the old days with no, no curfew. You had the wives calling shit. Uh, God. And then, and then it just, my notes just get insane. Uh, bent legs and oh no no someone yells you suck at uh, Morocco and Morocco yells only your mother does that you fat slob you fat slob put on a dress you old fag (laughs) Arnold Skolin Arnold Skolin is apparently wearing a gold lame jumpsuit he looks like uh, like that uh, that Elvis uh, 50,000 Elvis Fans can't be wrong. Somebody needs to do Skolin on that. 50,000 Arnold Skolin fans. 
Uh, can't be wrong. I like at the end when they start getting into the fighting. I honestly was just so entertained by Cal and Dick in this that I couldn't. I, I, I enjoyed the match because of them. I, if, if somebody else was calling this and it was just straightforward wrestling announcers, I would be as bored as everyone else. With them doing it, I just I, I, I had a great time. Yeah. Kelly? Yeah, I'm in the same camp as Johnny. I mean, thank God for Dick and Cal. Um, but this is an interesting match. I mean, holy fuck, it goes an hour. Um, they do all kinds of stuff. Like, how many different um, holds did Morocco work in the match for lengthy periods of time? There was like a headlock, a stomach claw, a leg armbar, basically. It's, it's oh yeah, that yeah that bending leg thing I mentioned. That was <laughs> sick. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Morocco did control most of the match. Very long start with the feeling out process. And then I just got totally into the Dick and Cal show. Um, it's the only way to maintain your sanity in, in an hour long situation like this. Uh, Dick referred to the belt as the Worldwide Wrestling Federation belt. So he's still living in the 70s. Um, <laughs> uh, at Cal, like at, at one point, or he does two uh, business exposing uh, comments. One was the the never they never submit uh, comment. That's like, yeah, yeah, they never submit to that. You know, you know that. <laughs> and then, um, oh God, yeah, the pain comment. Uh, Cal just got on fire at that point. And then basically, they go totally they get to the point where they're not even really focusing on the match anymore and just talking about random, random things. <laughs> they're obviously bored. I mean, they had a lot of time to fill. I don't know how many Broadway's Dick and Cal ever had to call, but this was uh, interesting. Um, old time wrestler names started popping up. Phil Zacco's name got dropped at one yeah, point. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he mentions like maybe Phil Zacco. Get, well, no, you never see him. <laughs> because you know he's that shady guy you never see. Yeah, we've seen him a couple of times. I have we. Oh yeah, he uh, presented the check to the winner of that battle royal. That's right. That's time. right. Yeah, that was in Philly. That was in the Spectrum. Um, the second time Cal uh, exposed the business was the he makes the comment that I don't know. I think it was Morocco saying so he's talking to him, talking to Backlund. What is he saying? <laughs> well, they're discussing their next series of spots, Cal. Uh, thanks for pointing that out to everybody on TV. <laughs> now, I'm surprised that neither of you picked up on Big Time Cal talking about his uh, TV spots. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No, no, oh, no, no. I, I, I only had so much ink in my pen. Because, <laughs> um, like, they just started talking about Cal's career, basically, at one point. Yep. I mean, he was like, I'm on the Today Show. I'm, I, I might, yeah. I, I'm, you know, you never know. I might date, uh, date Jane Pauley. Yeah. And, and Dick was like, I'm really pleased that you're doing that stuff, uh, Cal. He was very supportive of his colleague, I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, semi-regular on the Today Show. And he was on like a, a music uh, talk show hosted by Merv Griffith at the same time. Uh, <laughs> and, like the Ed McMahon to, to uh, Merv's uh, Johnny. It, there's some clips out Ooh. there. So. <laughs> I, have to see, I, I have to see Merv Griffin with uh, Cal. That that's now something I must see. Yeah, it, it, there's a video on YouTube. They were interviewing Ringo Starr. That's the one I've seen. Oh, oh. Uh, so check it out. Uh, back to the match. Uh, the ending got you know when you, if you if you if you stuck around until the ending, it got kind of interesting because they went into the final stretch, 
And like I said, you know, uh, both guys were exhausted. Morocco gets up on the top rope, almost slips off, uh, (laughs) kills himself, and uh, does a big dive. Um, The match ends. There's a a nice little brawl afterwards uh, between the two of them. Bob does his, uh, you know, pissed off, enraged uh, Bob that he he demands, you know, that uh, vengeance against the, the person that wronged him. Uh, but yeah, this was met just a series of holds one after the next. Nothing, I don't know, nothing really flowed in this one. Tons of mat work. Tons. I, I, yeah, I'll never watch this again. Um, well, maybe if I'm in the mood for some Dick and Cal, but no, probably <laughs> not. Even then. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Yeah. This was boring as fuck. Basically, that's all you need to know. <laughs> don't watch, don't watch it. No, um, no, no! Watch it. Watch you. People need to watch this and hear Dick and Cal because it was fucking great. <laughs> I, I don't know. Somebody, we should rip it to audio so they can just listen yes. to that and not watch. Hey, it not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so release that as a podcast. Just Dick yeah. And I, do, do, I, I was saying, when I was writing my notes, I was like, I can do an hour podcast just on Dick and Cal on this match. Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I know there's at least one fan of the match out there, other than JDW, which is uh, Stephen Graham. I was talking to him earlier, and he was like, um, "Oh, I hate the Texas Death match, but I love the one-hour draw last time I saw it." That's weird. I, I, I like both matches. I like the Texas Death match a lot more, but I like both matches. I can't imagine a universe where anybody could love this and hate the other match. So. Um, I'm interested that's, to see. Yeah, that's he's, odd. <laughs> he's he's going to he's going to rewatch both of them. So I'm interested to see what our uh, feed, uh, you know, my All Japan Excite Series co-host, uh, has to make on the on this. But he's a noted Morocco fan, right? But the, I mean, like it's not just because it was mat work. It was because it was really boring. Like the, Morocco was just uh, Pete was right. He was just literally just sitting in it, just just laying there doing nothing. Um, he didn't come to work tonight, Morocco. Like he, he worked much harder in the Texas Death Match, I thought. So yeah. anyway, um, disappointing match, uh, awful match. I gave it uh, two, two stars, which is I suppose quite high considering. Uh, Pete only went what two and a half on it. Yeah, probably two and a half, two and three fourths. So, so, I mean, going yeah. an hour is tough. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I usually grade grade a little higher because of uh, how long you're going because it's it's different. It's harder to make an exciting match when it goes an hour sometimes, and they and and, and those type of work those two workers aren't that uh, you know they're not built for the hour draw. Especially Morocco, he's not. Uh, so, but I, yeah, I mean it's still just not a it was it way too many flaws of a match. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, speaking of that, I, I myself I don't like hour draws. Uh, myself, just it's just too long. I, I, there's very few. I think Lawler and Race might be my favorite one ever. Do, do, do you like uh, Bach and Hennig? Did you oh, Bach and Hennig. Yeah, yeah, yeah that one's real. That's an awesome match. Uh, but like, but even in the Ring of Honor days when they did the the CM Punk uh, Samoa Joe uh, angles, where they had two one hour draws. Uh, and then the final uh, the final match, and I was at the final match, and everyone goes on about the two one hour draws, which are good, but the final match, which is not is not and shorter, is f- 
far better than than the two one hour draws. How long is Clash Six? Is that forty six minutes? Isn't it? 46? No, that's almost sixty. That's like fifty four. Yeah, it's like fifty five. Well, I think it's fifty five. Yeah, or, although it's fifty five twelve or fifty six. Yeah, fifty fifty six. But to, but to me, that that one feels like a twenty minute yeah. match because they work so yeah. fast. And yeah, that, to me, I, I call it an hour draw. I mean, I, that's just you know you're splitting. Is that is that Flair and Steamboat? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. You know, there, it, you, it, there it, you go. It's Flair and Steamboat. Them from them, them from 1984. Their hour draw. I like that. I like Kabashi Kawada. Well, I mean, the famous one is Dory Terry, uh, Dory and Jack of Jack Briscoe, of course. But I, I still haven't seen that. Yeah, I like the you, one from Florida. You, you, do you rate the Florida? Do you give it a five? Four, no, no, or no. I, give, I think I give it four. Because, because I mean, that's meant to be like the match of the decade. Yeah, no. For, in that style, you know. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with Johnny. I, I'd like if you ask me, what would you rather watch a, a you know sixty minute sixty minute match or a twenty minute match? I'll probably go for the twenty minute. Yeah, I like yeah. I like I like Flair Brett when they went sixteen Boston. I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, I, it's I mean, hard I, to pull off. It's hard to pull off. Yeah, I you, quite like hard to pull off. for a longer match. I I prefer thirty minutes. Like um, Sue, me and Chad are going to be watching Rude versus a uh, Steamboat thirty minute Iron Man match. Great yeah. match. I, I think that is the perfect length. Yeah, uh, uh, R- Rude uh, Dustin, I think, did 30 minutes. That was a really good match. I hated that one. Really? <laughs> I, I haven't seen it in forever, so I remember. That was pretty dull, that's so I just remember. So, um, let's get to the end of the uh, show awards and things then. So, um, match of the night. Uh, well, for me, it's the Texas Death Match, but, but where are you guys going? Yeah. Yeah, Death there's match. no other contender. Well, you could no, not the battle royal. But it yeah. seems like a, it seems like a weak match of the night. Yeah, from you guys, because you you, well, you didn't like you didn't like that match as much as I did. No, I'll go with Texas Death, and I really like the match. So yeah, all oh, right. But it didn't come through when you were talking about it, uh, Johnny. I, well, because <laughs> there was a lot of there was some caveats to Johnny liking it. Like I had to ignore yeah. the stip. Uh, this or that, you know. Yeah, well, that's yeah. just it. You know, if you can ignore the step, it's a great match. And uh, it, like I said, they, Texas Death. Whenever any match, I hear I hear Texas Death, and I go, "Well, what's it going to be?" Because it, it just means anything, and you just I just you, you can't let that color. It's like if it was an I Quit match and uh, they weren't quitting, then that color it. If, uh, it was like if they announced a cage match and there was no cage, then that'd be a problem. But <laughs> it's a Texas death match; it could be fucking whatever. I, I know this is a talking point before the show, but do, do you think it should go on the w, the WF uh, redo one fifty set that they make? Yeah, I think it'll be close. I don't know. Mm. Mm. Do you think? Do you think there are hundred and? 50 matches worth seeing more than this one? Yep, from the, I think from the so. I, I think so, too. Yeah. And also, also yeah. sometimes it also boils down to, do we have a lot of Backlund represented? Which they yeah, will that's be. what I was thinking. Um, I, I, don't think be a, a, I don't think there'll be a ton of Morocco, but, you know, it's like I don't think you need a ton of Morocco on the set because he doesn't have that many great ones. I think, I'll tell you this, if there's not a Morocco match nominated on the set... I would be willing to try to push this one on because I think you got to have a Morocco match on the set. Right, he was just because he was around. For, he was yeah. a major player. Yeah. Right, you got to have the Snuka cage match at least for historical value. I would say. Yeah, so that'd be there. I'm sure. Yeah. I think there'll be a, one of his Steamboat matches will probably sneak on. 
I like there's he has a match with Piper where it's a little eight minute like little brawl I enjoyed. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if I'm picking matches from '81, they probably most of them have got slaughter in them. From uh, from what we've seen, that uh, what were the other standout matches for the year that we've seen? They've all been slaughter ones, haven't they? Slaughter Patterson. Uh, yeah, slaughter Backlund Bob. and uh, Stan Hansen. The first match they had was really good, but that was yeah. a million years ago now. Yeah, it feels like 20 years ago we watched. <laughs> Technically, it was 1981, but yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, and then, so what, what are the other awards that we do? It's been so long, I've, I've even forgotten what we, uh, Worker of the Night, MVP. MVP? Dick and Cal. <laughs> hey, Dick and Cal. They, 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 they made that an enjoyable one hour for me, and, uh, where I said, if that had been just Vince, you know, or Gorilla, even I like both of them, you know, it would have been just, they just they, they made that an entertaining hour, so they're my workers. Who are you going with, Pete? It's either Backland or uh, or Valentine. I'll, I guess I'll go Bob and uh, Kelly. I'll go with Dick and Cal too. Yeah, fantastic. I'll go. With, I'll go with Mr. Fuji. Nice. So yeah, I, yeah, I think he got over the got over the finish of that. I, I, mean, I, totally. I, I have no problem with that. Yeah, yeah. So like I said, that 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 screen, that shot of him at uh, the close up of his face at the end of that is should be the screenshot for this show. It's it's fucking great. He's I mean, so all, he's so pleased with himself. It's much also, more it's how, much more credible than like Johnny going super eight, you know. So there you go. <laughs> oh, and also, how often the heels actually go over in this promotion? <laughs> no, totally. That's not, another not very, reason that made yeah. that result so strange. That was so unlike. WWF booking. Do we do any other awards? Worst, we do, do we? Worst oh, yeah, the, yeah, um Yeah, worst performer. Um, it's going to have to be Morocco, isn't it? For, this, for, for what, everything he did during that hour-long match. I don't know, because I, I actually thought he was good in the first match. Uh, uh, how about Dominic wandering yeah. around the ring like he has Alzheimer's? <laughs> actually, Dominic, <laughs> Dominic was terrible in that battle royal. I mean, it's, it's horrible. It's... I feel bad doing it, Kelly, but he, no, he, he needs to be proud to pasture, doesn't he? Yeah, well, he kind of is, because like I said earlier, that's the last we're going to see of him on our footage, so um, I'm going to yeah. go with Bulldog uh, Brower. I hate him. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> or, even, or even the final four baby faces in the Battle Royal, because... Ugh. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> I'd have to say Kurt Hennig, Kurt Hennig did look good in that Battle Royal, from what we saw of him. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, where are we going next? Time? He, actually, real quick, Henning oh, yeah. also appeared to be having the time of his life during he that. Did. So. Yeah, he did.
So we're going with uh, straight a uh, few last few months in 1981. We have first off Guria and Martel against Fuji and Saito for the tag team titles on TV. Hmm. Wonder what's going to happen there. Um, yeah, I'm going to get a handful of sand in my eyes. Yeah, it's a classic match, or at least the final, the, the end is classic. And then we actually get a rematch two days later at Madison Square Garden that I've never seen before between Fuji Saito and Martel Gurria, which could be interesting. Mm. We have... Now, we watched this match before. It was Don Morocco against Pedro Morales. And re- if you remember, it was a few months ago. Um, it's, it was labeled as being from July, but it was actually from October. So we watched it in the July footage. So I'm not sure if it, we're going to get it again. It, it's listed on, on here as, as coming up again. So we may skip that since we've already watched it. Um, then we get, as Pete has alluded to, I've, I've hyped this too, um, Bob Backlund's next challenger in the garden is Greg the Hammer Valentine. Nice. And we got two two big matches between the two of them at MSG on back-to-back shows. Nice. Yes. Nice. nice. Yes. Uh, the One of the matches between the two of them is before I, we did Titans. Um, it was my favorite Backlund match ever. So we'll see how that holds up. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to revisiting that. Got to be better than the 79 one. Yeah. And finally, we also get from the Philadelphia Spectrum, November 14th, we get the long-awaited match between Andre the Giant and Killer Khan um, mm. in a stretcher match. Wow, we haven't that, seen one of them before. No, and I've heard things about this match that aren't um, too kind, so we'll see We'll see what we get here. But it's For some Phil- reason, my, my, my mind goes to Sid El Gigante. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the stretcher match. Has there ever been really a good one? Uh, I want to say one, one man gang was in one once. <laughs> uh, in, in WWE, in like the mid two thousands, they did a couple uh, that were pretty cool. They did uh, wasn't one where Rey Mysterio ends up on the stretcher and Batista just lifts the stretcher up and throws it against the ring post. And yeah, that happened. I know that happened at one point. Something like that. They did the stiff where you had to push it past a line. Yes. yes. Like a, yeah, I thought that was hokey as all hell, but whatever. Um, so anyway, we got also the Texas death match between Don Morocco and Pedro Morales for the IC title at Madison Square Garden. Um, so everyone, the, take your be- everyone take your bets as to what the actual stipulation is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It could be anything. Um, and then... For the recently departed American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, we have him in action against nice. King Kong, King Kong Angela Mosca from the Garden. Oh man, I, 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 I almost <laughs> hey. feel like that's disrespectful to his memory. I know. You know what? Well, you know what? I, I bet. I bet it's going to be good. I bet Dusty can make it good. Yeah. Let's let's see. I'm, I'm holding uh, up that one. And have, yeah. Yeah, I know. It doesn't look good on paper, but... We, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll yep. see. We'll see. Wait, well, um, I'm just looking now, right? We did our first 1981 show a whole year ago. Yeah. So it's taken okay. us... A whole year? whole year. Yeah, take, take At least it didn't go year. longer than a year. Uh, you know, that's fine. We had a year to do it. Um, 
We'll get through 9082 a lot faster, I believe. We're doing kayfabe. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Just going through in real time. Like. <laughs> real time. <laughs> that's what the fans want. But, yeah, so that's that's it. Uh, there's also a confrontation between Pedro Morales and Greg Valentine to cap off the disc and to cap off the year of 1981. And so, yeah, join us then. It's, uh, it promises to be a exciting show because we got lots of different matches to look at. I'm looking forward to the Valentine stuff. Yeah. 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 I liked the, the Pedro Morocco stuff when I was a kid. Um, so we'll see how that holds up. As long as it's done in 10 minutes, I'm fine. <laughs> it's it, 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 it's hate-filled. Yeah, it's a blood feud. Yeah, it's a blood It is hate-filled. Yeah, the crowd is really into it. So we'll see how it goes. All right, well, for the Titans of Wrestling.